Business and Buckets, another episode coming at you, episode 70, on the heels of the end of the NFL season. Sad, sad day for NFL fans as we battle through the MLB lockout. Lots of UFC action. We got a show coming at you today. Uh, But first, before we talk sports, you already know how it goes. We're going to talk the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets, Fueled Supplements. You guys, it's 2022. It's a new year. Summer is right around the corner. It'll be here before you know it. That means less clothing and bathing suit days on the water. Summertime will be here before you know it. So get your summertime shine uh, with Fueled Supplements, Advanced Thermogenic, and Feel, Feel Good Formula Showtime. Showtime contains the only two clinically tested and patented ingredients scientifically proven to enhance thermogenesis. Besides fat burning, Showtime also increases energy, boosts mood, provides a sense of euphoria, suppresses appetite, enhances mental clarity, focus, and concentration. For optimal results, stack with counterattack. So get yours exclusively at fueledsupplements.com. Use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off. Once again, fueledsupplements.com, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Now, before we talk sports, you know, I had my little my little snowboard and injury. I have a ski weekend planned with my my best friend from Montana, Schweitzer in Idaho. Been healing pretty good. One of those weird chest injuries that it really just takes time. I still am limited in mobility, can't like jump. You know, any kind of crazy movement to my sternum chest area still hurts a little bit. But we out here we're recovering, try to make the best of the ski weekend. Um you know, get some groomers in, get some drinks, get some good times, a little vacation. <clears throat> um, but what's up with the weather, man? We, we've had such a weird ski season. It's winter, spring. Now it's going back to winter. How long is it going to be lasting? I just pray to the snow gods that we get some snow. Uh, there's still some supernatural stops, the Winter Olympics, and all that shitty fake snow still going on. But I just want a little bit of winter. I know all you guys are ready for that summertime shine. Uh, but I could use some snow to finish out the ski season, even though I'm not recovered. Hopefully you guys are out there skiing and enjoying it as well. But as it starts turning spring, that does mean the end of the NFL season. It didn't hit me until Super Bowl day. I was talking to my friends like, damn, we're really about to have to deal with the off season. And it feels like forever. Um, with all the things going on in my life, I'm sure it'll be faster than typical. Uh, it'll be here before you know it, but The NFL offseason, definitely a tough one. We'll be filling it up with college basketball, March Madness. I'll go on IG Live for my brackets again. Uh, NBA season's heating up. Uh, Try to make it to a couple NBA games in Portland as well. Maybe even catch, try to catch some March Madness in Portland as they'll have the first and second rounds at the Moda Center. And then, uh, obviously, Supercross. That'll be coming to Seattle as well. So, got some fun things on the horizon for my in-person sports attendance. Uh... But let's just write the ship off with some NFL talk. Outside of the Super Bowl, there's been some awards given, some things going on, such as the Dolphins hiring Wes Welker as a wide receiver coach. He was already a wide receiver coach, but he gets to join the Dolphins team, who does have a surplus of young talent. Jalen Waddell, right? Uh, um, Tui's, you know, one of his favorite targets. They also have Fuller, who didn't get to play a lot this year, but is uberly talented. Um, they also have... Um, the hell is his name? 
What am I? Uh, Devontae Parker. So they have weapons. They have options. And it'll be interesting to see how he coaches them up, gives them uh, the Wes Welker treatment. When it comes to award, no surprise here. Aaron Rodgers winning the MVP. I do agree with that. Um, I know there's been some debate on it, but Aaron Rodgers, an amazing season, well-deserved of the MVP. I don't. I think he could have been probably a top three option heading into the season. After all the off-season ish, you know, drama and news lines about him not being able to catch balls, yada yada. Jamar Chase, the offensive rookie of the year. I don't think there's a ton of surprises there. As a Steelers fan, I made a preseason bet on Najee Harris, uh, hoping that offensive line would have performed a little bit better. Uh, but he was able to go over a thousand yards, made the Pro Bowl his rookie year too. So some some pretty good offensive rookies, but well deserved by Jamar Chase. I think that was an easy pick. Uh, Micah Parsons, defensive rookie of the year, another easy pick, a guy that had some momentum towards the actual defensive player of the year towards the end of the season. Joe Burrow getting comeback player of the year, coming back from injury, leading the Bungles to the Super Bowl. They never bungled, almost won the Super Bowl. Uh, Goddamn, he is going to be the class of the AFC North as long as he is with the Bengals. And uh, as a Steelers fan post Big Ben, I could only hope that we can land a quarterback as we are now in the quarterback pool, much like most of the league. Uh, Mike Vrabel winning coach of the year. I think that was very deserving after all the issues with injuries, COVID that the Titans have dealt with. They still got the one seed in the AFC. Yes, they did choke in the playoffs, but still a very, very well-coached team and honestly an overperforming team. I didn't think they had a chance to barely make the playoffs, let alone get the one seed after uh, King Henry went down and then also A.J. Brown going down. But here, you know, at the end of the regular season, here we were with the with the freaking Titans as the one seed. So Mike Vrabel, hats off to you. Uh, huge win there. The Vikings hiring Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell as head coach. Obviously, I had to wait till the Rams were done, uh, but that now is an official move. No surprise with the offensive um, scripting, game plans, and action that the Rams have had that he goes, he gets to coach Kirk Cousins with some weapons uh, in his potential last season in Minnesota. And then this man, what a fucking historic season. Eastern Washington FCS alum, zero-star recruit, and a guy that I had known oh too well at the University of Montana doing his damn thing. And we look at it, here's his full season stats. That includes 21 games. There's an extra game in the regular season, if you've already forgotten, plus his playoff and Super Bowl Super Bowl run. He finished with 178 catches, 2,425 yards, 22 touchdowns. He had the NFL regular season receiving triple crown. Lead, we already talked about this, but led the league in catches, yards, and touchdowns. He was a unanimous All-Pro, the most catches in a single postseason with 33 catches. That's insane. I think his over-under at the book that I was at was four and a half in the Super Bowl. That was an easy hammer uh, going on the over there. Uh, the Offensive Player of the Year, the Super Bowl MVP, one of the greatest individual seasons ever, one of the most historical. Uh, it's just crazy to me that, it, you know, Again, coming from an FCS school, that that's the Cooper Cup that we had all known. And, uh, you know, I'm just so excited for him. And uh, what a goddamn season for Cooper Cup. Uh, 
I, I need uh, like the Pat McAfee show of the boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like riled up. But goddamn, Cooper Cup, ladies and gentlemen, what a season. Um, another potential player on the horizon of his career. I would assume he would announce retirement, winning a Super Bowl. But Andrew Whitworth, the Walter Payton Man of the Year award. Uh, just what a great leader and what all he's brought to that Rams team that I think is a little bit underspoken and a little undervalued to a lot of the media and outsiders. I'm sure in the locker room, nothing is undervalued for what Mr. Whitworth, Whitworth brings to the team. <clears throat> for the Yinzers, TJ Watt finally getting Defensive Player of the Year. I think we were all confident as Steelers fans that he would get the award finally. Uh, but after the popularity contest and Donald getting it last year, you never freaking know, but he finally got it, well-deservingly so. The Steelers franchise leading um, the NFL with the most defensive player of the year awards by like five, I believe. Uh, but he gets to join Steelers royalty. And, you know, I hope we can build the team around him because he deserves to win. He deserves to be in the playoffs. He deserves to have moments like Aaron Donald did in the Super Bowl. Officially, after the Super Bowl, it's announced that Joe Burrow played with an MCL sprain. I honestly thought it was going to be worse. After all the sacks in the Titans game, some of the hits he took late season, um, really just the, the path that he had, even the hits in the Super Bowl, I thought it was going to be more than an L MCL sprain. Uh, but a tough son of a bitch. The way he performed, the way he had played, even after all those injuries, bravo, Joe Cool. Um, obviously, you're already popular everywhere else. Um, but you know, hats, tip of the cap to you, um, round of applause on an amazing season. And because of this amazing season, Zach Taylor getting an extension for the Bengals. Is that really a surprise? Absolutely not. Um, the young offensive minds and coaches in the league right now are a hot commodity and the things that he did, uh, from what was it? A two win or four win team Bengals 20, 20. 2021 record. Four and 11. A four win team to the damn Super Bowl and damn close to winning it. Uh, Zach Taylor needs to get a lot of credit there. And then the actually today, the Falcons announcing the release of Dante Fowler. Uh, not even quite two years into a three year deal that they gave him. Uh, a big-time draft pick that really has underperformed and been on a few teams now. Um, I'm sure he'll get an opportunity somewhere. And then, bummer news here, but Adrian Peterson arrested with domestic violence charges with conflict uh, with his wife on the plane. I believe this happened Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, the airlines aren't pressing any charges up against him, but a guy that already has some history with his son being in the drama... Um, I assume he will be pretty much retired at this point after not getting much playing time with the Seahawks. Uh, one of my all-time favorite players, the reason I'm an Oklahoma Sooner fan. And uh, yeah, I mean, what can you say? It just it sucks to see his Adrian Peterson's name in the headlines more. It seems like everything's going to be good. Uh, but hopefully, um, you know, there's no major issues there. But let's talk the Super Bowl. Um, I had a friend host. We had a ton of food, probably more food than I wanted. For some reason, I just was stoked about getting some chicken wings and stuff in my face. And boy, did I. I feel like a, a, a big POS on Monday. Um, but when I think the commercials, I was a little underwhelmed about the commercials. The only real commercial I liked was the um, uh, Doritos commercial, the Cool Blue or whatever that flavor is called. 
with the sloth and the animals. And when the sloth was eating the comer- uh, the Doritos, it was like, ah, ah, and then the noise, and then they made the song. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, but there wasn't a ton of great commercials, a lot of crypto stuff. Uh, the funny one was crypto.com with the QR code bouncing on the screen. Uh, you know, their website crashed with so many people offering some free money in Bitcoin if you invest uh, on their platform. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's mostly money grabs, companies getting their name out there. Uh, for my company, our competitors had Super Bowl commercials, Monday.com and ClickUp. I was not very impressed with their commercials. Uh, it's a big investment of time, uh, but makes me feel good working in the space that I am, that there is that kind of investment money and push to control um, the, you know, space that my company is in and glad that we are the leader of that space whooping their ass. I wish we had a Super Bowl commercial though, for sure. Uh, Our company thinks that investing in the F1 uh, IndyCar racing uh, and having a logo on the car is a better move in their national audience. So it is what it is. Uh, But the halftime show, man, obviously if you're from the eighties or a nineties baby, the halftime show was one of a kind For me, it was just a cultural revelation representing rap and hip-hop, all the best artists, uh, guest appearance of 50 Cent that I don't think anyone could have guessed. I was thinking maybe an Ice Cube would be involved. Uh, But Dr. Dre, all of his prodigies, I just wanted more. I wanted it to be longer. The song, song and a half that each artist got wasn't quite enough for me. A lot of people are calling it the best ever. I feel like today, with all the knowledge that people have and the platforms to just speak your mind, like a a Twitter, like immediately giving my thoughts. Everyone thinks, you know, the best of all time, everything's the goat, everything's the best. Like you hear this all the time. And obviously we're more aware of what other people are saying. So it becomes more of a, you know, this is what we just, you know, you see someone on Twitter, then you um, associate the masses with that. Well, I see that everyone thinks this, it's not necessarily true, but I saw a lot of greatest Super Bowl uh, show of all time. I'm back and forth on that. It's hard. It's like going to Coachella, seeing an artist. They get a very limited set. It's not their production versus, you know, you get one artist, you get their full show. Uh, This was my favorite one of late. I'd have to really think about if it's my favorite one of all time. I did like Prince. I did like Lady Gaga, um, Justin Timberlake. There's some other ones. Uh, But this was really cool. Um, The songs were good picks. Eminem's J's were amazing. The Shadies, the Threes. I mean, goddamn it. It was just a really cool time. I, I enjoyed myself for that. But to say it's the greatest of all time, you know, the best thing ever, that's that's I give it a solid B plus um on on execution and performance and stage. Um it's hard to get rap and hip hop with that many people. A real cool showing, but it's a Super Bowl. Go over the top. You know, the little concert stages thing, I think it could have been a little bit more. That's just my opinion. But it was cool. I had a good time. I was more excited about that than the game. But boy, did the game deliver, man. Um, the first thing I was thinking throughout the game was the lack of flags in the game, which in today's NFL, I mean, let's be honest, that's not the case. And I, I, I tweet out, boy, are they letting they, these men play? Um, there was some blatant missed calls. Uh, Donald was literally like forever offsides a couple times. They had a missed pass interference pretty early in the game. And some plays that you would you would typically see are for sure calls. They let them play. They let the defenders do a little bit to the receivers. And I liked that. I really did enjoy that. Um, there was a controversial PI that ended up getting called against Logan Wilson. 
How about Logan Wilson, Wyoming representing? I'm not wearing the hat just for Logan Wilson. We're going to talk some Wyo college basketball. I was going to be super hyped on them. Was thinking about recording the show last night. I ended up not because the Villanova game uh, was such a good game against Providence. But then Wyoming ended up losing to freaking New Mexico for, you know, entering the rankings on a hot streak. They let me down, but I'm still repping the Wyoming hat. I don't get to wear it a lot as brown and yellow is kind of a hard combo to rock with with a lot of my other clothing. But Logan Wilson, what a game. And the P.I. they called on him. I do think it was a P.I. When you look at the replay, he was pulling on the receiver, but damn near as close as it can get. Good defense uh, against, obviously, a very crafty Cooper Cup. Uh, but I love that they let them play. I, th I thought that that was really cool, especially the way the game went. Um, there was no like clear lead. It was a back and forth game, uh, big decisions being made. And the decision that surprised me, I get the Bengals want to be in the lead early. That's how they were going to win, right? You're not going to be able to chase a big deficit. Um, but they went for it on fourth at midfield at the start of the game. I thought that was a little premature. I think that did cost them a little bit. Um, I haven't seen a lot of the Super Bowl recaps as I've been busy as hell with the, my new promotion and, you know, really trying to deliver on this podcasting and, and what the future holds this year as there's going to be a lot of changes with business and buckets. Um, but with the fourth down conversion, why not take some more shots down the field, right? You had T Higgins with the big game. I've obviously after half, they had that, you know, Jalen Ramsey got burned a few times. I will say that Jalen Ramsey was not as locked down as I thought he would. Uh, it's hard with all the weapons that the Bengals possess, but after half he, he got burned. T Higgins had a big play. But they didn't have those big plays to Jamar Chase, those big opportunities. I thought they would do a little bit more of that. They did have Joe Mixon involved, which I thought a key to them winning would be Joe Mixon having a good game. So I, I thought that was a game, a good uh, game script. But I thought that they would take a little bit more risks. I'd rather have them have a, a, a big play attempt to Jamar Chase in that fourth down midfield, you know, right at the beginning of the game. Uh, maybe they assume they get that. They could still the momentum. I mean, there's always two, you know, Two, uh, two sides of the coin in these types of decisions. You're damned if you do. You're damned if you don't. He gets that, scores. He looks like a genius. He didn't get it in this case. He, like, question it. Um, I just didn't like that. I thought that was too early for such a big stage. And why in the hell did the Rams keep running the ball? I know Cam Akers is the future in your guy. He's probably looked good in practice, but he has not delivered on the field as well since he recovered from that Achilles injury. You know, props to him for recovering this year and all the things that he's done. It's very impressive. No one expects him to be able to play in these games. But who got you there? Henderson, I know he'd been battling some injuries, but he's athletic. He's quick. He's a good catcher. Sony Michelle had had an amazing season. Henderson involved a little bit. Um, um, Sonny Michelle not even in the game script at all. And they just kept getting stuffed. I mean, when we look at it, they had 23 attempts for 43 yards as a unit, averaged less than two yards per carry, and Cam Akers had 13 of those 23 carries. So um, very questionable. They just had a lot of drives in third and deeps, right? Especially after Odell Beckham um, tore his ACL. It was like, okay, we have Cooper Cup. They're probably going to double Cooper Cup. What, what do we do now? And they kept running the ball, putting themselves uh, in, in second and third and long situations. And for the Bengals running attack, in crucial parts, especially early in the game, they're letting Samaj P. Ryan be involved. I'm an Oklahoma fan. I love me some Samaj P. Ryan. I thought he would do so much better in the NFL and have a starting opportunity per personally. 
But it was so weird that so early on in the game, in crucial game points, they were throwing to Samaje on that fourth down. Uh, Samaje was getting carries. Why wouldn't Joe Mixon not be involved at those times? It was like a weird formation set up or what was going on. Obviously, I haven't watched the game back. But there, there was just some weird decision makings that just didn't make sense for this being the biggest game of the year. It's like these coaches are so brilliant offensively, they're over-schematicking things and, and putting themselves behind the ball when it really is, only needs to be simple, especially for the Bengals. What got you here? Big plays with your stud receivers, letting Joe Burrow let it loose. Um, so, yeah, it was just some weird shit going on. Um, other than that, again, the story is Cooper Cup, the Super Bowl MVP. Every time they needed something after Odell Beckham got hurt, you know, obviously got his touchdown. I'm sure, you know, I'm not pro or against Odell personally. You know, it's cool that he got the touchdown. Um, you know, he gets to go right into the sunset like a lot of the other players that have been on the team uh, or joined in this superstar like NBA free agent-esque like team. Um, but Cooper Cup, when they needed something, uh, they did it. And the Stafford no-look has been all over the web. You know, it was kind of a no-look. It was more like a body language. Juke the guy out just enough to get that open window over uh, Von Bell. That was a thing of beauty. The time that these guys have put in, I'm sure the the amount of reps, the amount of routes that they had done in the offseason, Stafford coming from Detroit, having that underdog mentality, never have had you know, big winning seasons and opportunities to go far. Cooper Cup, a zero-star recruit, has turned into an NFL superstar, a true number one wide receiver. Those guys, you could tell the time put in equaled this victory, and that's all you got to give it credit to. And uh, McVay knew he needed to change at quarterback, went all in for Stafford, deservedly so, got the ring. Um, you know, you know what, I guess <laughs> you wouldn't assume when they were making all these superstar-like team, free agency-like team, and for schemating this, I don't think they would have thought Cooper Cup is who he is today. But without Cooper Cup, this wouldn't have happened. Without Matt Stafford, all the other pieces, it wouldn't have happened. Hell, without OBJ, this probably wouldn't have even happened. So every move had counted. Um... I saw the GM wearing a, a shirt today uh, in their parade that said, fuck the picks. You know, who cares about all those picks? We made it happen. But we'll see what the future holds. They talked about running it back. Donald's going to want to get paid. If he doesn't come back, I don't think there's a chance that they could uh, repeat. There's a lot of things that we saw with the Buccaneers last year that shows why winning in the NFL is so hard. Plus, you need a clean slate of health. There's long uh, extra game in the season now. There's so many things that go uh, to be involved, but I saw they were like the fourth team in uh, Vegas favorites for odds next year. Um, but if Donald does stay, right, they do keep a lot of this team together. They're going to have a great opportunity. I obviously won't be rooting for that. Um, but uh, yeah, this offseason is going to be crazy. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if Tom Brady does come out of retirement. There, there's so many things. There's all these disgruntled quarterbacks. Do they stay? Do they go? Do teams make moves? Deshaun Watson. This offseason... In my, you know, I always say to my memory, because I can't, I don't even know what the hell happened in the NFL four years from going unless I, I pull it up right now and research it, right? But this offseason feels probably because I'm a Steeler fan as well, and we're like kind of starting over the whole quarterback thing that's a for some teams takes decades to find the right quarterback. I mean, look at the Colts, right? They're potentially going to trade Wentz. Ursay is just over this. He, he's very underwhelmed with how that season had gone. And I understand where he's coming from, but there's going to be a lot of dominoes falling. 
there might not be a lot of dominoes falling. Uh, it's really going to be interesting how the top down happens, but this off season is going to be intense. There's going to be a lot of crazy things. The draft's going to be huge. Just there's so many pieces involved and hopefully now with COVID being, uh, a, you know, behind us, everything in person, regular, uh, schedules, routines in the off season, uh, happen the way they're supposed to. Regardless, it's going to be a wild off season. We'll see what, what happens with the Rams. When we look at the stats in this game, you know, it was 23 to 20 final score. The Rams were up um, 13 to uh, 10 going into halftime. And then um, the only score in the fourth quarter was the Rams. I enjoyed this game a lot. And before I had watched this game and last week in the podcast, I talked about not giving a rat's ass. I was going to put bets in uh, to make this more interesting. But I was on, you know, I was tuned in the whole goddamn time, obviously worried about the commercials and everything, but I was super into it and uh, kept thinking, you know, all these things we talked about with the going down on fourth, the schematics, what was going on, why the coaches were doing what they were doing and how this was going to measure up. Um, but hey, Stafford did his thing. I mean, he did have a couple interceptions. Um, I believe one was tipped if I can remember right. But there was just a lot of different pieces going on, and I was very impressed with the Bengals' defense and what they could do. And Logan Wilson's just turning into a fucking stud back there. Pass coverage, blitzing, you know, taking a guy head on, whatever you need him to do, he's there. But Stafford ended up finishing 26 of 40, 283, three touchdowns and two picks. He was sacked twice for an 89.9 rating. Uh, we talked about the run game. There wasn't a lot of that happening, uh, but they didn't quit on it. Uh, Cam Akers, 13 carries for 21 yards. It's a 1.6 average. Cooper Cup had a rush. Huge jet sweep, or maybe it was a reverse. Reverse or jet sweep that got them a fourth down that, that allowed them to win this game. Uh, Drill Henderson, four carries, seven yards. It's a 1.8 average. Uh, Sony, Michelle, Sony Michelle, and I don't even remember these runs, honestly. Two carries for two yards. It's a 1.0 average. And then receiving-wise, uh, Cooper Cup, 10 targets. Reeled in eight of them. Thangs. 92 yards and two tutties. OBJ, two catches, 52 yards and a touchdown. Henderson had 43 yards receiving. Akers, 14. Uh, for the Bengals offense, Joe Cool, 22 of 33, 263 and a touchdown. He was sacked seven times. I hammered the over on five plus sacks. I think there was a 10 plus sacks option. And I almost bid on it. Glad I didn't. Uh, but he ended up with a 101 rating. Um, coming into halftime, I told my friends, and I had money on the Rams, you know, like I, I would have liked to see the Rams win due to that. And uh, as a Steelers fan, fuck the division. Um, but everything was reminding me of Steelers, Seahawks, Big Ben's second year, had an amazing rookie year, leads them into the Super Bowl and wins it with not a very great performance. Personally, I mean, Joe Burrow's performance in his first Super Bowl is a lot better. I think Ben's rating was like 20 something. <clears throat> but... I was like, holy shit, this reminds me so much of the Steelers team. I think they're going to find a way to win. They ultimately didn't. Um, again, for some of those reasons we had talked about, I was a little confused. Um, they, they had an opportunity for sure. I think they should have took, taken more chances. Um, but that's how I felt like it was going. I was like, holy shit, they're going to find a way. And then the Odell Beckham injury. there was just It was stacking into the Bengals' favor. And the fact that the Rams found a way. And I'm not even going to say the Rams. The fact that Aaron Donald, Matt Stafford, and Cooper Cup found a way is honestly pretty impressive, even though they do have such a stacked, you know, depth chart 
or um, we lo- we flipped the script, offense, offense, defense, defense. There's a ton more talent on the roster, but it really was those three players that won this game. For the Bengals, Joe Mixon, like I said, he did get his opportunities. He had 15 carries for 72 yards. It's a 4.8 average. You can't ask much for that, much more than that against the Rams' defense. Uh, he looked great. Uh, he's going to be a stud running back, man. If you guys are fantasy players with this offense, definitely a guy. It's going to be like the future Chiefs offense. He's going to be a byproduct of a lot of scoring, a lot of offense. He finished with 1,200 yards this year. Uh, and people forget he's only 25 years old. It seems like Joe Mixon's been around. He's 25. Well, guess what? Joe Burrow's 25. Uh, almost, he's going to be 26 this year. So he's younger than Joe Burrow. Um, as a running back, obviously, you get to 30 and you're like washed. Uh, but I think his best years are ahead of him. And then T. Higgins, this guy's a stud. It's going to be interesting to see how um, this receiving course either stays together, breaks up, or what happens. Uh, but T. Higgins had seven targets, reeled in four catches for 100 yards and two touchdowns. Most of that was that 75-yard touchdown after uh, the halftime show. And Jamar Chase had eight targets, but reeled in five catches for 89 yards. He did have a 46-yard catch, but they didn't, like I said, take a ton of big shots with him. And then Tyler Boyd, five catches for 48 yards, getting some nice in-between, some Juju Smith-like yards, those dirty yards. That's what he does. I'm really excited to see what happens with him as I I believe he'll be on a new team. Uh, Defensively for the Bengals, they did get two sacks. though There wasn't a lot of standouts uh, defensively. You know, Chidobi Awuzi, again, a guy that was written off. We broke the Bengals down this season, a guy that had an amazing season. Um, I, You know, I'm impressed. I didn't think he could perform like that. He got an interception. Jesse Bates got an interception. What a stud safety he is. And then Logan Wilson, man, nine tackles, eight solo, three tackles for a loss, a pass defended. Wild, baby, I'm telling you. Uh, and then for the Rams defense, the seven sacks, two of those were from Aaron Donald. Four tackles, three solos, three QB hits, uh, two from Von Miller. He was a big part, pass defended, three QB hits. Um, no interceptions or turnovers from there. The Bengals were three of 14 on third down, one of three from fourth. I'm just now seeing this for the first time. That is brutal. Uh, the Rams, six of 15 for third, one for one on fourth. The Rams out yarded the Bengals by eight. Uh, they were plus two or minus two in the turnover differential. That usually spells defeat right there, especially in a big game. Again, at halftime, I thought it was all, everything was just putting into the atmosphere the Bengals are going to win. So happy they didn't, so I didn't lose any money. Regardless, being minus two in the turnover, getting a win in the Super Bowl, that's wild. And they outpossessed the Bengals by a minute. But what a season. Uh, I love when things like this happen. That's why the NFL is so cool is there's not... You don't get the same shit, you know, as much as Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, those guys have been a part. Every year, it seems like you get some sort of surprise, right? Every year I make my preseason predictions, you make one or two teams that didn't make the playoffs make the playoffs. They could be surprising, you never know. And the Bengals were that this year. And um, I counted them out the whole fucking season in the playoffs, picked against them the whole fucking season. They probably lost me a ton of money. But that's the beauty of the NFL. That's the whole mantra of any given fucking Sunday. And uh, I'm bummed to see the season go. Can't wait for the next one. As a Steelers fan, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little on edge. Uh, But what a season. Bravo, NFL. Very high viewership. I do like the NBC crew. Uh, Amazon coming into it next year. They need to get in their hands into fucking everything. Uh, But it looks like they'll have Al Michaels. 
Um, you know, there's rumors of Sean Payton, different productions going on. The NFL is getting a lot of stars. It's a very player-heavy, driven, uh, analyst, um, announcing type setup now. Uh, but it's going to be very interesting to see how the future gets laid out. Like I said, this offseason, bonkers. Fucking bonkers. But what I'm going to be talking a lot about, it's not like I don't talk about it a lot, but I'm talking about it a lot more. We get back into the UFC. Um, this month is just a fucking banger. Every card has fights, and I'm like, holy shit. Can't wait. Can't wait. So some fights coming up on the horizon. Curtis Blades versus Chris Dacus at heavyweight. That's going to be a banger. It's a heavyweight fight, which already spells banger. But this is a banger, all caps, couple exclamations. Uh, Verna Janderoba taking on Angela Hill. Two veterans going at it. I don't believe they fought before, which it's about time their paths have crossed. And this fight, I called it here. It's not very hard to call. Based on how, how the division shaked out, it's pretty obvious. But this one right here, ladies and gentlemen, whoo-wee, it's going to be a fun fight. Yair Rodriguez versus Brian Ortega. Not finalized, but in the works. All-stars aligning. It's going to be finalized, I'm sure. The date to be determined. Hopefully, it's July 2nd, my 30th birthday. A little week early celebration. But that's going to be a fucking fight. Uh, Kat Zingano fighting on Bellator 276 card. See an old cat back in the octagon. That's the Bellator's MO, but it'll still be fun. Uh, Bellator 277 shaking out to be a banger. AJ McKee versus Patricio Pitbull, the rematch. Uh, this fight that I've been waiting forever. When they had the whole light heavyweight circuit set up and it all fell apart, everyone getting hurt and everything else. But Vadim Nemkov taking on Corey Anderson. That's going to be a fucking fun fight. Uh, probably one of the more exciting fight or fights I've been excited about in the uh, in Bellator since I've really been tuning in. And then Lyota Machida's last fight against Fabian Edwards is going to be in London for Bellator. So some Bellator action as well. But let's recap the beast that happened. UFC 271. I mean, outside of, of of the fights that we're breaking down, how about Jeremiah Wells submitting Blood Diamond in his debut in the first round? All this hype. This is Izzy's guy, right? Watching the embeddeds, watching everything. I was like, can't wait to see this guy flash. Get submitted in the first round in his debut via rear naked choke. Tough debut. But guess what? It could only get better from here. And then Carlos Olberg, also part of the camp. City Kicks Boxing dominating Fabio Charant. It doesn't look like Charant really belongs in the UFC octagon, but regardless, Car Carlos Olberg with a great performance. And picks-wise, I went 6-2. and two. I missed the last two fights, and if it wasn't for the Derek Lewis fight, I would have probably begged 2K at least. Um, if Robert would have pulled it off and uh, Derek would have knocked out Ty, we talking 16K. So I was a little bummed, a little bummed. Uh, but was not bummed about the fights. And starting in the prelims, how about Kyler Phillips with the third-round submission over Marcelo Rojo? I, I mean, I thought this was the Matrix's best performance yet. He didn't agree with that in his post-fight interview. I know, you know, these guys hold themselves to very high standards, and he probably thought things would go a certain way, and they didn't quite. But goddamn, in this fight, he was fast. He had great combos. 
He did some spinning attempts and missed on that. I'm sure those were some of the things that, you know, that's why I didn't think it was his best fight so far. Uh, but even mixed in his wrestling, his jiu-jitsu, this kid's very well-rounded. He trains with the best. Uh, Sean O'Malley and uh, Tim Welch's coach on the Timbo Sugar Show talked about him moving away from Tempe and all the partying and things going on there and learning um, uh, or leaning into the training more. So if he keeps MMA as a forefront and pri priority, uh, he's going to be in great shape and he has a ton of potential. Uh, he has great training partners at the MMA lab, Sugar Sean including. I could only imagine what their training sessions look like. Um, he just has the traits like Sean O'Malley, uh, both in the same class, uh, that other fighters can't possess. It's just the things that you're naturally gifted with, that it factor type, type of thing. Um, but goddamn, he looked good in the octagon for the, for this fight. And for him going three rounds, I think that was probably good for his career, even though it would have been you know nice for him to have the early finish. I'm sure that's what he was shooting for. Uh, but also, don't forget, Rojo is tough as nails. He is no slouch, right? He's a very good fighter. So not only did he do this, but he did this against pretty stiff competition. He has fought stiffer, in my opinion, but again, no slouch. Um, statistically, Kyler landed 90 total strikes, 80 of those significant, with three takedowns, although he did attempt eight of them, uh, and he did have two submission attempts. While Rojo... Um, he had 57 total and 55 significant strikes. So out-volumed the shit out of him, uh, was all over the place with him, and uh, just a, a really cool performance. And, uh, you know, I, he was a heavy favorite. I would have bet the house on him. It was good to see him deliver. Up next for Rojo, he could take on uh, Gaetano Perello or maybe Kevin Natividad. Um, for Phillips, I could see Ricky Simone, uh, you know, a wrestling heavy guy. Or a rematch against Victor Henry, who he had lost to earlier in his career. Or maybe even a banger with Saeed Nurmagomedov after he had that amazing fight. Could you imagine a stylistic matchup there? That would be a true, like, okay, what can Kyler do? What can Saeed do? You know, kind of a measuring stick. I, I think they're going to give Saeed somebody a little higher up or somebody that is ranked. Uh, but Ricky Simone would not be opposed. Let him, let him get a rematch with Victor Henry. Um, either way... You got to tune in for Kyler Phillips fight, fights. This guy is an animal. And then on the women's side of thing, Casey O'Neill with a split decision over Roxanne Mataferi in her retirement fight. Um, obviously, this was her going away party, her retirement fight, whatever we want to call it. And she went out throwing, man. I did not expect that. Uh, she didn't look to go to her wrestling or grappling, which she is more known for. Um... Once she finally did get to wrestling, it was already pat. Like, she had been so outstruck in, beat down, taking big hits in the most Roxanne-like way. Then she went to her grappling, was successful. And it's like, I understand you don't want to wrestle your way to victory in your final fight, but if you would have started there, maybe potentially tired out Casey more, you would have had an opportunity. So I, I didn't really like that game plan. Um, King Casey was obviously outstriking her. But as tough as Roxanne Ann is, she was taking the big shots, still coming forward. If she would not have um, went to her grappling late, again, she potentially could have went, uh, put herself in a position to win. I don't know if she necessarily would have won, um, but would have gave her sh herself a chance or a shot um, against a very, not like, I, I don't know if we want to say phenom, but a very big rising star up and comer and, and just women's UFC and MMA in general. Um, for Casey, this really does show that she's going to have to improve on her grappling if she wants to keep moving up in the division. 
but she looked great in the octagon, <laughs> literally and figuratively. Let's see. Let's look at the rankings real quick. So Casey O'Neill moves up three spots to number 12. I mean, we got Alexa Grasso ahead of her, Cynthia Cavillo, Jessica I, Andrea Lee, JoJo uh, uh, Wood, Vivian Orehu, Talia Santos, Jennifer Mile, Lauren Murphy, Caitlin Chukagian, Jessica Andrade, so, and obviously Valentina. These ladies can wrestle. They can grapple. Casey's still very young, but obviously there's room for improvement. Uh, statistically, Casey landed 230 total and 229 significant strikes compared to Modafferi's 148 total and 120 significant with the two takedowns. Uh, very high volume for women's MMA. Again, Casey, she's still undefeated. Big rising star. She moves to 9-0. She's in the rankings at number 12. And I could see her taking on Talia Santos or Jennifer Maya as she's really going to start taking on the class of the division, really getting that stiffer competition. And I can't wait. And for Roxanne, she gets to enjoy life outside of the octagon, which it seems like she's pretty pumped about. And I can't blame her. And then uh, the vet, Andre Orlovsky, man. Split decision over Jared Vandera. The vet, the OG, Orlovsky just finds ways to win, man, against much younger fighters. And this past couple of years has been a joy. I've really enjoyed watching him. He went to ATT. He's kind of revitalized his career. Not quite to a Glover to share a mark, but he's still moving up. So who knows? Uh, he was clearly the better striker in the octagon. Jared, a big younger body, continued to grind on him against the cage, tried to make it dirty, tried to try him out. Um, Vandera did have some shots landed, but they were more ticky-tack volume for scoring. Arlovsky definitely had the bigger moments. And even in these exchanges, if Jared landed two, Arlovsky would land a clean right hook or something like that. Um, so he was winning those exchanges. And as sketchy as the judging's been lately, in this card the week before, I was worried that they might give this to Jared and miss the decision, but they got it right. Thank God I, at this point, was alive for a lot of money. So I was super excited, even though I ended up losing. Um, statistically, Arlovsky landed 71 total and 64 significant strikes compared to Jared's 102 total and 70 significant strikes. Arlovsky is now on a three-fight winning streak. He's fought four times this calendar year. I can't imagine. I mean, you look at him. He's in great shape. But I cannot imagine at his age, 43 fucking years old, to step foot in an octagon, have the training camps, have those performances four times in a calendar year. Bonkers. Um, Jared now has lost two in a row and three of his last four. So looking to gain that momentum, you know, you look at a guy like Andre at 43, you think this is a winnable fight. He was damn close, but didn't do quite enough. Uh, so what's next for these guys? Arlovsky, I think you should get another shot at a ranked fighter. Uh, he, he's beaten some good competition. Obviously he took a L in those four losses, but out of the last four fights, uh, but I think you should get a ranked fighter. I'd love to see him get a rematch against Augusto Sakai, who had just gotten beat by Tai Tuavasa on his fucking reign to stardom. Or how about Derek Lewis? Two guys, two, like an OG UFC guy. Uh, Arlovsky has been in other promotions. That would be a big headliner. That would be a ton of fun. Uh, for Jared, I could see a guy like Chase Sherman as a potential option who's also looking to gain momentum and is on a skid. 
Um, but either way, Arlovsky, lots of names that would make that fun. But I couldn't imagine Derek Lewis versus Arlovsky. What a cool headliner that would be. And that was all in the prelims, man. Uh, in the main card, we had Bobby Green starting it off right with the unanimous decision over Nazra Haparist. And I had gone back and forth on picking this fight. And I was glad that I settled with the vet Bobby Green because he's hot right now. Um, how about the vets? Bobby Green, Andre Orlovsky representing early on UFC 271 in H-Town. And boy, did Bobby deliver. The crowd was shouting Bobby. I mean, he's on fire. Everyone was loving it. Um, he's a tough fighter, man. I mean, he's 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 a crazy guy to fight because as low as he keeps his hand and as crazy as he is, his hands are fast. He's aggressive. And it, it kind of gets you stiff on your feet trying to figure out what's coming, how to attack him. And that's exactly what happened to Nazrat. I mean, he looked like he had cement blocks on his feet. He was staying there, getting chopped up, taking hits, and it just wasn't his night, to say the least. I didn't think he looked like himself. He didn't look like a, a, a fighter that's improving. He looked like a guy who is 26 years old, is a little in over his head, and has a lot of learning to coming when it comes to different fight styles and how to make pivots real-time in a fight. That's a big skill that a lot of people don't, don't talk about. How can you pivot based on styles? You've watched Bobby's film. Obviously, you had a game plan. When that game plan gets fucking thrown, when the Mike Tyson quote comes to reality, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the fucking mouth. Yeah, what happens now? Nazrat, he wasn't ready. Um, But yeah, just watching the crowd root for Bobby, I thought that was really cool, the momentum he had. And he kind of made Nazrat look like he didn't belong. Uh, when we look at the stats, Bobby landed 188 total and significant strikes compared to Nazrat's 76 total and significant. So when I talk about didn't belong, that that, that volume speaks numbers. Um, obviously, this was lopsided, and Bobby is now on a two-fight winning streak after losing to young studs like Rafael Fiziev and Tiago Moises. Uh, while Nazrat's on a two-fight losing streak, he has seemed to you know lost himself a little bit. When you're young, you get into the UFC early. You think you're on top of the moon. You get a couple wins. I'm fucking invincible. But you still have so much to learn. Then you take a couple L's. That could really fuck you up mentally, especially like who knows what his life situation is, what kind of bills he has, what kind of issues he has outside of fighting. Um, because, you know, the Lord knows guys like him aren't getting paid enough to not have to worry about those things. So there, there's going to be a lot involved there. And as I become more MMA focused and spin up an MMA focused pod, hopefully we can start bringing those stories more to limelight. Obviously, I have my business episode where I interview entrepreneurs or successful business people and talk their story. Um, but, you know, kind of like Anatomy of the Fighter. The fighter's stories are so cool. And people, I think they're one of the most fascinating athletes in all types of sports. And uh, I think people need to hear their stories because um, people don't know what it takes and, and what a grind it is to just not even earn the opportunity to fight in the UFC, but fight for a fucking living. This shit's gladiator status. Um... But yeah, he's young. He's not in his prime, right? I think the, the fighting prime's 30 to 35, depending on experience and how how many fights and damage you've taken. Uh, so he's got plenty of time left in the tank. Uh, what What's next for these guys? I think for Nazrat, I'd assume he takes some time to work in the gym, improve his craft. Um, but if not, I could see him taking a guy on like Scott's Holtzman, try to get back in the winning column. Uh, maybe Joe Selecki. 
Uh, but those aren't, you know, super easy fights either. So again, I think he's going to probably take some time to just to work on his craft. And for Bobby, I'd love to see a guy like uh, Debir Esmogolov or Brad Riddell, what type of fights those would be. Much like Andre, he's getting into that top 15 again, getting some big uh, time guys. And uh, wh whoever he fights next, they're talking about, he deserves a main event. We'll be tuning in. We'll be fucking tuning in. <clears throat> and then we had this fight. This fight was a back and forth pick for me as well. Glad I came on the outcome of the old heart. We talked about picking some dogs and doing some things. And, uh, you know, this was a better card and picks and was damn close to getting all the fights right. But the Whitaker fight, and I'm not shocked about the Whitaker fight. I could easily, you know, if I were a betting guy, I'd be betting on Izzy. But I just felt like Robert was ready. Uh, Renato Moicano with a second round submission over Alexander Hernandez. And this was a fun fight. Both fighters had their moments, but the wrestling and jujitsu, much like I had expected, of Moicano was too much for Hernandez. And not just Hernandez, it happens to a lot of fighters against Moicano. Um, he was able to attack him relentlessly. He was on his shit, uh, much like the Maximov fight the week before. He was able to climb his body and get an early rear naked choke in the second round. Um, statistically, Alexander landed 39 total and 37 significant strikes compared to Moicano's 38 total and 33 significant strikes with two takedowns and a submission attempt. Now, Hernandez, he starts a new losing streak. He's lost two out of his last three fights this calendar year. Uh, he is about to enter his prime and needs to get momentum going, but he is more than capable. Moicano now is on a two-fight winning streak, so he's got that momentum. So what's next for these guys? I think for Hernandez, I could see him taking on a guy like Grant Holtzman or ugh, Grant Dawson or Scott Holtzman. And for Moicano, I would love to see him take on Gregor Gillespie or Demir uh, Ismogolov, just like we had talked with the other guys in the middleweight uh, division. I think Gillespie, he's probably going to want a higher-ranked guy, but that would be a fucking sick fight. Uh, Demir would be a good fight as well. Either way, um, I'm excited to see who his next fight is. It's fun seeing the middleweight division getting shaken up a bit. And what I thought would be fight of the night, how about the killer gorilla, ladies and gents? Jared Cannonier with a second round knockout over Derek Brunson. And this fight was most likely for a title shot. And both fighters had to show off their strengths. They had to stick to the game plan. There's no room for error because at the age that they're at, you take a loss. The odds of fighting for a title again are very slim to none unless you're on that Glover to share a path, which both of these fighters kind of are. Um, but Jared showcased his endurance and cardio. I mean, that's a, I mean, look at the guys just fucking shredded. Um, Derek gave him takedown after takedown attempt after takedown attempt. And not many fighters can battle past that. Um, not only that, but he was able to land good shots in those exchanges and still have the energy to keep going, to get on your back, to get up, to escape next round on your back, get up, escape, land a couple of shots, get down. You know, obviously that's a lot on the wrestler as well, especially when a guy it's defeating when you get a guy down and a guy like Brunson's able to keep people down, tire them out, gets his ass up, finds a way against the cage, gets up and you got to go again. You know, that's, that, that's emptying the tank for both guys. But Jared looked like he could have went five rounds easy at that pace, which is fucking insane that he had the energy to keep going. A testament to Brunson's winning streak, though. He beat guys like Darren Till, Kevin Holland, very talented guys doing exactly that, 
wrestling the shit out of him and holding him down. Jared didn't let it happen. You know he probably prepped relentless hours on his cardio and wrestling. I could imagine like him having wrestlers, fresh fighter every round, just doing rounds and rounds of wrestlers, taking your ass down and getting up. Um, by the end of round two, old blonde Brunson was completely gassed, man. Uh, he was trying to keep Jared down for the victory, and that led to the finish. That's ultimately what it led to. Uh, statistically, Jared landed 61 total and 55 significant strikes with a takedown compared to Blonde Brunson's 48 total, 43 significant uh, strikes, but he had three takedowns, a knockdown, and a submission attempt. Let's look at how many fucking takedowns he had, though. Don't know why I didn't label that. Let's see. Events. I hate the UFC website, man. So bad. I need to fix this shit. All right. So he had three takedowns out of 13 attempts in two rounds. Oh, my God. That just tires me out thinking about it. Um, if I just went and tried to take someone out 13 times, I'd fucking be dead. Um, but that's wild that he only got three out of 13. Um, Jared, he's now on a two-fight winning streak. He moves up to the number two spot. Should be, and I think Dana agrees, the next challenger for Israel Adesanya. Uh, while Derek starts a new losing streak. His beautiful five-fight wrestling slash winning streak uh, comes to an end. He stays at number four, deservedly so. Um, he talked about this on Twitter. This was right after the fight, so you never know if that's true and if it's just emotions. But he talked about being, you know, hey, at 38 years old, uh, he's going to muster up all he can for one more fight. So potentially he's going to do one more fight, call it a career. He's had a bunch of ups and downs, title fight opportunities, weight classes. He's been there, done that. Um, but who knows if that's actually going to be true. You see people, especially fighters, talk about that all the time. Um, they keep fighting and it's either good or a good or a bad thing. So obviously I think Jared's going to get the Izzy fight. Uh, for Derek, I'd love to see him take on Chris Weidman. If that's a retirement fight, that'd be a great fight. Uh, Brad Tavares, some more wrestlers, a little wrestler on wrestler action. Um, but yeah, if Jared's not fighting Izzy next, I would be shocked unless there's an automatic Robert Whitaker rematch. Um, but I think Izzy would rather fight a new, new guy cause he's been fighting the same dudes for a long time. And then the fight that did me fucking dirty. Tied to Avasa has probably lost me a lot of money as well. He just looks like such a smaller frame than these big heavyweights. Obviously, I haven't felt his power, but a guy like Derek Lewis, I'm like, there's no way he could have as much power as Derek Lewis. The knockout leader in UFC history. Um, there's no way that he could push Derek back. There's no way that he could be aggressive and clinch him up on the cage. And he did all of those things and more. Tied to Avasa, bam, bam, to Avasa, shooey to Avasa. Crazy motherfucking tie to Avasa with a second round knockout over the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. And this was a banger, just like we expected. Hang and bang. Everything they said at the press conference is exactly what happened. Um, what I didn't get and didn't expect was the ability of Ty to have the durability to take shots from Derek. I thought those shots would put him out. I think he was close a couple times, uh, but it is what it is. Um, he took some big shots from the knockout leader in UFC history a few times, man. Um, he has more endurance as a younger fighter, obviously. Uh, Derek got tired 
once that happens, a big like that, your chin goes out. It is what it is. Once Tide clinched him up, he landed that insane fucking elbow. Um, the fact that he could even do that with these heavyweights is amazing. Like, I didn't think he could do it with Sakai, let alone Derek Lewis. He keeps proving me wrong. Um, but yeah, the lights got shut out. That elbow was clean. I didn't even see it real time. I was wondering what the fuck was going on in those exchanges. Any shot that landed, someone could go down. And Brunson was just too tired for that. Big time bummer for Derek in his hometown. He talked about never wanting to fight in Houston again. Here he is, and he gets knocked out like that. That's got to be brutal. Uh, but for Ty, he fucking, if he, you know, he's already exploded on the scene. But we're talking eight spots up in the rankings. We're talking potential right there for a title shot type of explosion. Um, he even talked about he thinks this is the passing of the torch in the knockout king from Lewis to Ty. Um, he's going to start getting big paydays, big fights, title opportunities. And what a year it's been for him just climbing the ranks the way he had after, you know, an up and down like prospective type career. But more shoeys in the future so we can all celebrate that. Statistically, Lewis landed 31 total and 27 significant strikes with two takedowns compared to Ty's 35 total and 24 significant strikes with that knockdown. Lewis now starts a new uh, losing streak. He's lost two of his last three spot, uh, two of his last three. He moves down to number five. Bam Bam is now on a five-fight winning streak. Four of them in 13 calendar months and moves up eight spots to number three. I picked against him in the Greg Hardy fight, the Sakai fight, the Lewis fight. He's probably going to fight a big-time fighter. I could see Bam Bam taking someone on um, like the winner of Curtis Blades and Chris Dacus. I'd probably pick him for that. Maybe not Blades. And then maybe even Cyril Gone. and I wouldn't pick him there either. He keeps proving me wrong, so maybe I should just stay away from the shit. Um, but he's up at the big time, big time now. Um, for Lewis, I could see him taking on Jarzinho Rosenstrike uh, if he beats Marcin Tibera like I expect him to. It's crazy they haven't crossed paths yet. That'd be a banger. Or maybe Augusto Sagai, who uh, Ty had just beat. That'd be a fun fight as well. And then the main event, one of the most anticipated fights for me in a long fucking time. And Izzy is the champ. I do believe, and you got to beat the champ to be the champ. Robert Whitaker didn't do that. Izzy with the unanimous decision over um, Robert Whitaker, Bobby Knuckles, the Grim Reaper, whatever you want to call him. Um, again, the theme here really is you got to be the beat the champ to be the champ. And it's not that you get a head start. You have to blow them out. Um, but if it's damn near a draw or close to, the champ's going to get the nod. And this was a typical John Jones title defense fight. Right? This is John Jones versus Gustafson. This is John Jones versus Dominic Reyes. All those close fights that people bantered for other ones, it wasn't even quite that close. But it was, Izzy did what he needed to do. He doesn't initi have to initiate. He doesn't have to take those major risks. He gets to fight where the other fighter brings it to him. I clearly was going for Rob. I bet on him. I picked him. I loved his new approach. But there just wasn't enough volume to get the win. Right, you talk about being in all this headspace, having the right game plan. Jan's given the blueprint. Well, where were the more bigger combos? Where was the more striking opportunity? Where was engaging in those? Where was the more um, um, wrestling takedown attempts? I thought he was going to wrestle Izzy more, get him down, grind him out, tire him out like Jan did. Um, as he said, Jan gave the blueprint, but that wasn't it. Yes, it was a valiant effort, 
Yes, it was improvement. It was better than the first fight. Um, but to me, Izzy had a 10-8 round in round one, especially with that knockdown. You know that going into round two, your coaches should be telling you that in the corner. We got to take more chances, take more risks. I heard the corner a couple times. They were agreeing with me on the same thing. But you got to be able to push that envelope more. Your fighter, no matter how fucked up he is, how tired he is, should understand what, what what's at risk here. Um, I haven't seen a lot of post-fight stuff yet. Um, again, got a lot of shit going on, but I know that he said that he thought he won the fight and that shows to me that his corner was giving him false information. Um, but he had 10 takedown attempts. He had four of 10, uh, but take a double, be a wrestler, take some double shots, right? You take a shot, you fell. He's not up against the cage. Do another one. I didn't see things like that. Um, a lot of the shots he did end up against the cage Izzy was able to get out. He had him down a couple times as he got up very fast. So, um, you know, a testament to Izzy as well. I think Rob has the potential to keep him down, though. He just wasn't as aggressive in the in, in where he needed to be. I was very impressed with Izzy's mentality. I talked about this before the fight. His maturity, the way he handled things. Same with Rob. Um, but I do hope that there is a rematch in the future. I think this deserves another another fight. I believe they are by far the best two fighters in the division by a good amount. Um, kind of like flyweight with Brandon Moreno and, uh, Divas and Figueredo kind of like, uh, Max Holloway and Volkanovsky. I think they're here and everyone else is there and they're in their prime. Um, so I wouldn't, you know, if it is an immediate rematch, I assume that they will fight again unless, um, Kamzat Chemaev takes over everything and kills everybody like he might, which I hope doesn't happen. Uh, statistically, Izzy landed 98 total and 79 significant strikes with a knockdown compared to Rob's 74 total and 59 significant strikes with the four takedowns. Uh, Izzy is on a two-fight winning streak now, and his title reign in the middle middleweight division continues. Rob's three-fight winning streak comes to an end. He does stay as the number one in the division, deservingly so. So next, uh, if it isn't a rematch, I could see Rob taking on Marvin Vittori, who he hasn't crossed paths with yet, which is kind of crazy. Uh, that'd be a fun fight. If it's not Vittori, maybe Sean Strickland. And then for Izzy, like I said, the killer gorilla, baby. That should be it. And uh, I'm not as excited about that fight. I thought Jared looked tremendous against Derek. I think he has an opportunity. Uh, but I do think Robert's better. Robert beat him. And if Robert can't beat Izzy, I don't know how Jared's going to do it. But we have another fight card this Saturday. Uh, it's not quite as good as it was supposed to be. Uh, Fazee versus RDA was supposed to happen. That didn't happen because some visa issues. But we're going to start in the main card as I'm not super pumped about really anything in the prelims. We have Joaquin, the new Monza Buckley, only 27 years old, but a 13-4 record, taking on Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, the 36-year-old fighter with an 11-4 record. You know, Buckley, he's still living off his highlight KO. But he has three performance of the nights and five UFC fights, so he, he's fun to watch. That's why we're talking about him. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He was 1-1 one one in 2021. Ten of his 13 wins are via knockout. He does have a three-inch reach advantage to add. Uh, he has fought in Bellator in the LFA. That's probably why he's had so much success. Those are great promotions, great talent. Meanwhile, Abdul, he's got a background in judo and Muay Thai. He's, he's got a black belt in judo. He's on a one-fight winning streak. And he does have history of struggling to make weight for the middleweight division, so that'll be interesting. If you're a better, I'd wait till after weigh-ins to make sure this fight happens. 
But I'm going to go with the young and powerful bull here. I'm going to go with the, the highlight king. I'm taking Buckley. I'm putting him on my parlay. I'm marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Watch out, watch out, watch out. Easy now. Um, Then we got Jim A. 10 Miller, 38 years old with the 33 and 16 record, taking on Nicholas the Iron Mata, 29 years old with the 1 and 0 record. This is his UFC debut. And we had a lot of OGs in the last card. This is another fucking OG. Um, Miller's got backgrounds in wrestling, BJJ and Muay Thai. He's got a black belt in BJJ. He was a D1 wrestler for Virginia Tech for a season. 18 of his 33 wins are via submission. He's on a one-fight winning streak in 1-1 one one in 2021. And he's taken on a, a guy making his debut who's a, a Dana White Contender Series alum. He hasn't fought in the UFC, but he earned his contract in November of 2020. So he is past due. It's been a while. Um, a tough fight early on for his UFC career, taking after that win in the Contender Series. Uh, he did beat Joe Selecki in 864 fighting, so he has fought some, some decent level of competition. I do think Jim has the experience edge here. He has looked good of late. Not quite Andre Arlovsky good, but he's looked good for, for I mean, shit. You know, he's, he's almost 39 years old. But I believe Nicholas will match him on, their, on, on the feet. And if he is taken down, he could hold his own. And I think he will be in better shape. So I'm going to take the, the debuter, Nicholas Moda. I'm not putting him on my parlay. I'm avoiding that if possible, but I am taking him in the picks. Then we got the big dogs again. We got Parker Porter, 36 years old with a 12 and 6 record, taking on Allen, the Black Samurai, Badu, 34 years old with an 8 and 3 record. Now, Parker's an orthodox fighter. He's a brown belt in BJJ. He's a Bellator alum as well. And he's on a two-fight winning streak. Allen trains out of the MMA factory. He has a background in judo and Muay Thai. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 0-1 in the UFC. I think this is a toss-up, but Parker's going to make this a dirty fight and put his weight on Allen to try and tire him out. I do think it's enough to get the job done. I'm taking Parker Porter. I am not putting this on a parlay, though. Moving on, we have Kyle Dawkins, 28 years old with a 10-2 record, taking on Jamie the Nightwolf Pickett, 33 years old with a 13-6 record. Kyle, he's a black belt in BJJ and a purple belt in Muay Thai. He's coming off that no contest against Kevin Holland. They were supposed to rematch. He got hurt, so now he's taking on Pickett. Uh, his last win was in November of 2020. Although the no contest, he was he, he was looking good against Holland. And eight of his ten wins are via submission. Pickett, he had a shot at the Dana White cont Contender Series twice. He took some L's. Got the third time. Third time was the charm. Got that UFC contract. He's on a two-fight winning streak. Eight of his 13 wins are via knockout, and he has a six-inch reach advantage. I thought Kyle had the rematch with Holland scheduled. I thought that was going to be a tougher fight when it was rescheduled. Uh, so I'm going to stick with Kyle here. I think he, he's got some well-rounded abilities to take on Jamie Pickett. I am confident to put him on a parlay. I would mark him down, and I will get that bread. And then the headliner, since the Fazeev fight is called off, we have Johnny Walker, the 29-year-old fighter with an 18-6 and record and the number 10 next to his name, taking on Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill, 30 years old, 
eight and one record and the number 12 next to his name. Now this is going to be a banger. I thought the Fasib fight would be a little bit better. It was a headliner got rescheduled, but I have to watch this fight. That's how good it's going to be. Johnny's a brown belt in BJJ. I mean, it could be a quick knockout. Don't get me wrong, but I got to see it. Um, Johnny's also a Dana White contender series alum. He's on a one fight losing streak. He has lost three of his last, last four, and he's got a brown belt in BJJ. Jamal is a blue belt in BJJ. He is also a Dana White contender series alum. He's on a one fight winning streak, and he has the vicious power. He showcased it lately. If you don't know, now you know. But this one's going to come down to how tough Johnny is. Can he take shots like a tie to Avasa? He was a very highly touted prospect. He's flamed out a little bit of late, but he's still young. He's not in his fighting prime. He needs to get back on track. He probably feels the pressure, but I don't think he's going to be able to avoid Superman's shots. Jamal is very green. He's learning rapidly fight after fight. He's improving a ton. I think the question here is, can he take the shots necessary to tire Jamal out and make this a five-round fight? Well, I'm not betting on it. Jamal hasn't been on the third round, hasn't been into the third round since January of 2020. So if it does go that far, things are going to get interesting, but I don't think it's going to get past the second. Um, if it does get that past that point, bravo, Johnny Walker. But I'm taking Super or Sweet Dreams, Hill. I'm putting him on my parlay. I'm marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. So fun little fight night card. Not, you know, no 271, but there's some big fights. The Dawkins fight, the Walker fight, must see TV. Buckley's a highlight reel. For next Saturday, it's another fight night card, but a loaded one, 4 p.m. Pacific start, just like this weekend. And it's headlined by Benil Dariush versus Islam Makachev. That's another one of the, those fights. Once it was booked, I anticipated, I was like, holy shit. I am very high on Dariush. Everyone's high on Islam. I'll probably take Dariush. That'll be interesting. I mean, let's see what the odds are real quick. Benil Dariush versus Islam Vegas odds. Dariush is plus 305. Sheesh. I'll have to do my my research, but that's a that might be a good like, throw a hundred on that one, you know what I'm saying? But I can't wait. That's all you need to know. Can't wait. Must watch next weekend. This weekend there's some good fights. And we got some good NBA. The trade deadline, man. God damn, was there some moves? I didn't think the big names would get moved. And boy, was I wrong. Everyone's just shipping guys here, shipping guys there. But it's the NBA. Are you surprised? Hell nine surprised. I'm a little surprised by this move, though. The Timberwolves giving Patrick Beverly a one-year $13 million contract. Um, you know, they're young. I get it. Maybe they need some leadership, whatever. Uh, but they get to keep Pat Bev for a year. Uh, Goran Dragic traded to the Spurs for Thad Young. The Spurs then um, release Goran Dragic, so he's available for all the teams that want him. Um, there's got to be a handful of teams that want him. I hope he goes to the Mavericks, but who knows what's going to happen. Uh, the Bucks end up signing DeAndre Bemby after the trade deadline, a guy that, that um, was free for the pickings, and the Bucks wanted him. There was a four-team trade. The Kings trading Marvin Bagley the third to the Pistons. Dante DiVincenzo, Josh Jackson, and Trey Lyles to the Kings. 
The Bucks acquiring Serge Ibaka and two second round picks and Semi Ojeli and Rodney Hood to the Clippers. Uh, Rodney Hood probably won't be involved much. Ojeli, decent little rotation player. Serge Ibaka could pay huge dividends for the Bucks as Lopez is still recovering from injury. Uh, DiVincenzo, Josh Jackson, and Trey Lyles of the Kings. They get more guys that have high potential that really haven't delivered, which is the Kings MO. Nothing too crazy there for me. The Rockets acquired Dennis Schroeder from the Celtics for Daniel Tice, Enos Freedom, and Bruno Fernando, but then they ended up, wave free, ended up waving Freedom. I like Schroeder. I, I am pretty high on Schroeder. Um, that Rockets team has a lot of athletic ability, but we'll see how that teamwork comes. They're very young. You know, they're going to need the right leadership. Uh, Daniel Tice was great for the Celtics when they had them. I'm surprised they got rid of him. I wanted the Jazz to get him as a backup center at one point, uh, but <clears throat> nothing too crazy there. I doubt Schroeder stays with the Rockets long-term. The Suns acquire Aaron Holiday from the Wizards. The Wizards are a dumpster fire. Um, Aaron Holiday gets an opportunity to be a rotational piece on the Suns. Every time a guard goes under Chris Paul's umbrella, it's like the fucking Andy Reid coaching tree. So um, I'm sure he'll he'll figure it out. He's had some, you know, some moments in the NBA. <clears throat> Montrez Harrell traded to the Hornets. The Wizards got Vernon Casey and Ish Smith. Um, Harrell to the Hornets is just another rotational piece. They have a, I don't know how much time he's going to get. And Vernon Casey hasn't done much. He's still young. Ish Smith is just a deep rotational guy. So that's not too crazy there for me either. Uh, Tory Craig back to the Suns for Jalen Smith in a second round pick. I was a little surprised by that, but they must feel like they need some perimeter defense uh, for this title run, this championship run. So they were willing to give up Jalen Smith in a pick for that. But Jalen had looked good this year. The Celtics take on Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, and a first round pick for Derek White. Um, I like Josh Richardson. He's been very underwhelming. I thought he'd be a huge 3 and D player, Mikel Bridges-like, uh, but maybe he could help the Celtics out. And why they gave up so much uh, to get those guys, they got a first-round pick, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, not, not, nothing that's like, ooh, that really you know helps this contender out. The biggest surprise for me, the Mavericks trading Porzingis to the Wizards for Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. And a second round pick. Like, what the? F um, I just don't think Porzingis had enough time to mesh with that team. It takes time. The NBA wants everything. This year, now, now, now. We can make moves. We could, you know, assemble a team. Um, I don't think that he ever got to be himself. Uh, he's not going to be able to be himself in Washington. That's a shit show as well. Maybe he figured out. I don't know. I do like Spencer's, Spencer Dinwiddie. Bertans is a decent player. Um, but this just must be like salary cap set up for a, an offseason move because this this ain't it for me. Uh, the Nets send James Harden and Paul Millsap to the Sixers in exchange for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and two first-round picks. I am surprised this happened, to be honest. I didn't think they'd find a way. Uh, Paul Millsap's old. He's a barely a rotational player at this point. No disrespect to Paul Millsap. I love him. His jazz days, his nugget day. He's had some good days. He's a great player, um, but he's not going to help the Sixers, um, you know, win a championship this year, I don't think. Um, they probably don't think they could keep James Harden. I get that. But like Ben Simmons, do you really want to put any trust in this fucking, I don't know, 
obviously I don't know the issues. There's always this other side of the story, but to me, he's an overprivileged, weak mentality mindset person. He's very new era. He's a little soft. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I want, if on the nets, I don't want that. If on the Sixers, I don't want that. Uh, maybe it works out, but I don't see either of these team being championship caliber personally. The magic wave, PJ Dozier, Dorian Finney Smith signs a four year, $52 million extension. The Mavs really like him. LeBron big ups, another record passing Kareem for the most all time points. And speaking on that move with the Nets, how about they're just misses with big threes? They try to get KG, Paul Millsap, uh, Ray Allen in their old days. Um, you know, they're in Brooklyn. Jay-Z, they have all this flair. They were kind of fun. They're just a fucking shit show. Why, how in the hell you would think that the big three originally past their prime was going to win, let alone the idea that James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, like all the outcasts, kind of the, kind of like the bad punk rock. Like if I'm in school, they're like those bad boy punk rockers that all the girls want that just like have no chemistry, no like camaraderie uh, would win. I'd have no clue. Um, but yeah, the Nets, that's just their MO, man. They like to swing and miss, I guess. And then. In the all-star draft, Kevin Durant takes Gobert as his last pick over ex-teammate James Harden. No surprise there. There was a funny viral moment where they asked KD when he'll be back or can you tell, give us an update? And he says no, and it's awkward silence and LBJ's busting. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but other than that, before we talk about this past week's game, where the standings lie, I'm going to break down an East-West team. I'm going to break down the teams that I know oh too well. Obviously, I'm a Jazz fan. Dwayne Wade was my guy, so I still keep close to the to the Heat. Root for the Heat if it's not the Jazz. Um, and I love me Jimmy Butler, those Marquette boys. It's, it is what it is. Um, obviously, the Jazz made a move at the trade deadline. Joe Ingles tearing his ACL. Um, doesn't mean Joe Ingles is done as a Jazz player. You'll never play for the Blazers, I'm sure. Uh, but they were able to get you know a young opportunity a young player, an opportunity to be part of the future, the rotation for the playoffs and to kill Alexander Walker, a rotational big. Um, the big move in the offseason was adding Rudy Gay to the team, perimeter defense, small ball center. He, he's been out quite a bit. Uh, he hasn't had as much time as I think the team needs. And this team had a brash of issues. Donovan concussion, COVID, Rudy COVID. Like you take Donovan and Rudy off this team, they're just a completely different team. And they slid in the standings. I mean, as we look at it right now, they're still f fourth in the standings, but the fact that they even slipped behind the Grizz is pretty crazy. They're four behind the Grizz, four and a half or five and a half behind the Warriors and 11 back from the Suns. I could see them squeaking in the third seed as long as they stay healthy and together, but the odds of them getting into the top two is very slim in my opinion. Um... But damn, dude, Mike Conley, one of the greatest acquisitions they could have. You know, that he is such a crucial piece to this team. We saw that with the Clippers. Everyone wants to say the Jazz aren't proven in the playoffs. They aren't good. It's like, cool. Donovan had one fucking leg and no Conley. What do you expect to happen? That's how, you know, these are big time pieces, man. Uh, Mike Conley looking great, looking in good shape. His leadership, his unselfishness. Um, Jordan Clarkson, the flamethrower off the bench. You kind of live and die by him sometimes. 
But I saw a stat this month since they've started winning. They're like plus 78 with him in the lineup and minus 7 with him out. So obviously him creating baskets does different things to the defense, opens up more looks for their shooters. That's really the ML for the Jazz, right? They're a modern-day three-point shooting team. Uh, they're the old Warriors, you know, the old teams that just fucking shoot hella attempts. You can't have enough open attempt looks. And um, really anyone can shoot the three besides Rudy. Um, Royce O'Neal has the grittiness. He trains with Donovan in the offseason. He's a great defensive player. That's why he's on the team. That's why he's in the starting lineup. But he doesn't seem to have his three ball confidence the way it needs to be um, and where it's been in the past. I mean, we look at it right now. He is shooting. Damn. What am I talking about? He's shooting 40%, uh, which is a career career high. He averages 38. He had 38 and a half last year. So maybe I'm tripping. I thought he was shooting lower. Maybe he was, and now he's out of it. But they need him to stay at that 40%. That, that's going to be huge. Um, Bojan Bogdanovich, I thought this was such a brilliant signing, and they got him at, at a good rate. I mean, this guy, if he is the star player on a team or needs to be a, a, a one asset, he can. He could guard multiple positions, um, but he's a fucking shooter. He went through that wrist surgery, went through some issues, but he's averaging 17.9 points per game. His first year with Utah, he averaged 20, so he's done better, um, which was a career high for him, but his career high for Indy was right at 18, so he's right there. He's shooting 38% from three. He does shoot at a high volume. Again, he's been battling that wrist surgery coming back. I think that number will increase. They need him over 40%. Huge piece to the team. Um, the goal better factor, the three times, not one, not two, the fucking three-time defensive player of the year. And without injury, you'd probably get it again. If you look at defensive efficiency numbers per whatever, he should be the defensive player of the year every year. That's how crucial he is. He makes teams change their game plan. You can't take jumpers. You can't be anywhere around the basket with fucking the stifle tower down there. Um, I think he is the most crucial player to this team. You have Mike Conley. You insert another guy besides Donovan. Like they're still going to play pretty good, pretty good ball. You take Rudy out. You have Donovan, Mike, and you put Hassan Whiteside in. It's not the same team. And Hassan Whiteside is a great backup center. Great signing. When we got Hassan Whiteside on a vet minimum, you knew he wanted to win. I was all in. He is a little airheady at times, but he is as close to Gobert as you can get for a backup center in the NBA. So that was a huge move for the Jazz. Um, and I'm not discrediting Donovan. He's my favorite player in the league. Uh, he's little uh, Dwayne Wade 2.0. Uh, I feel like, you know, losing Dwayne Wade in the NBA, I was really bummed. Like, who do I root for as a player? I don't have a favorite player anymore. And then Donovan came in, became, you know, Spider Donovan. Um, and just really made me a happy fan. Um, he's a superstar and everyone wants to complain about the jazz friction. It is a lot of Shaq Kobe-esque. We have two alpha dogs, two guys that are culturally diverse, that are care about personal professional growth, team growth, and just, Hey, we want to win a fucking championship. We have to be perfect. When things aren't perfect, emotions get high. It is what it is. I'm in sales. I have that with coworkers all the time. And this is it that they want out. They want to be out of Utah. You know, the, the press wants to write that narrative because people don't stay in Utah, but also they would love them for it to be somewhere else. I saw a report of him going to the Knicks. Are you fucking kidding me? Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks? I will viral this everywhere. That'll never happen. Donovan Mitchell knows that'll never happen. He would never want to be for the Knicks. Um, 
So just the shit that you see in the media sometimes is so blown out of proportion. Like Donovan says, shit happens. You know, I'm not playing defense. Rudy's on my ass. Rudy's doing stupid shit. I'm on his ass. That's, to me, healthy things. I don't think this is an unhealthy issue. Maybe the whole COVID thing and Rudy blowing shit out of proportion, that was probably a little arrogant and <clears throat> probably raised a little bit of, you know, some some issues. But I don't think there's any issues here. I think the team's healthy now. They'll finish the third team in the West, and I do think they are a true contender. Absolutely. Uh, Shane, you're a Jazz fan. You're fucking blind. You could say that, but you can't tell me that this squad isn't good. They have a deep rotation, one of the better benches in the league. Losing uh, Joe Ingles was a huge loss in the season, but Nikhil Alexander-Walker can play, I think, under the Jazz development systems was one of the best in the league. He's going to play better. He's going to play more confident. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um... Eric Pascal, though, great addition. Villanova, you already know. Friends with Donovan, childhood friends. Uh, he's been an amazing piece, a small ball type center guy. The real big missing piece is getting Rudy Gay involved more and getting lineups figured out to prep for the postseason. Um, but Trent Forrest, you know, with all these guys being out, there were guys that we had no clue on. Can they handle the NBA workload? No clue. Guys like Trent Forrest, guys like Yudoka Azabuki, who was this big fucking powerful massive a man that like wasn't sure he barely had any basketball experience out of africa not sure how he would translate now you could tell it's like shit doke might need time ahead of Whiteside. that's how good he's playing he just needed to get in better shape get better and familiar with the speed of the nba trent forrest now a reliable guy in that rotation they have i i believe all these guys are so reliable and they somehow got daniel house on a 10-day contract multiple times and they converted that into a full regular season contract I think they will look at buyout options, you know, tis the season after the trade deadline. But this team is a contending caliber team. I think they could compete with any team in the NBA. The only team that I was worried about, uh, a true worry, was um, the, the big three with the Nets if they were healthy and doing the thing and they're not even there anymore. So, true contender, super excited. I think they finished third in the West and it's going to be a fun fucking postseason. I'm going to go watch them play the last regular season game in Portland. I would have liked to catch more games, potentially go to a playoff game. I caught the second round last year against the Clippers. Um, yeah, we lost. No Donovan. or Donovan played on one leg. No Mike Conley. No Kawhi Leonard. So it was a bummer to you know catch a, a big playoff game like that. But I'm not opposed to taking a quick trip to Salt Lake to catch some playoff games. Uh, this fucking team is fun to watch. I know it's not you know this highlighted team. They're not on primetime all the time. I'm doing my podcast right now on Wednesday at 3 o'clock because they play the Lakers. I want to watch that game. That's going to be a big game in L.A. Uh, see the momentum they can get. And looking at their schedule, man, they do have some games. We're really going to learn a lot about this team against the higher class teams. Post-All-Star uh, post break, they host Dallas, which is in the slouch. They're at Phoenix. Um, they play at Dallas in March. They play the Bucks at home in March, which getting towards the playoffs, that's big. Two days later, they they host the um, Bulls, the Clippers. Who knows if Kawhi can come back? Um, they're at the Nets, at Boston, at Charlotte, at Dallas, at Clips. Tough road stretch at the end of March. That's really going to you know put a lot of. Uh, I like when teams are on the road. There's more camaraderie. They're in their hotels. They're not with their families at home. Yeah, the routines are unstructured, but you really learn a lot about teams. I mean, this is a one, two, three, four, five, six game road trip. Uh, three games on prime time, one a Tuesday TNT, two NBA TVs. They're on Wednesday night, fucking basketball a lot this year, which is funny. Uh, but that you're going to learn a lot about that. 
Then they have a home stretch against Lakers at the Warriors, Grizz, Suns, Portland. It's going to be a very, very interesting end of the year. And we're going to learn a lot about the Jazz. And if they find themselves in the three, you know, pushing towards that two seed, it's going to be a team that no one wants to fuck with. They have that experience. They're getting that maturity. And everyone thinks, well, I want to see it proof in the playoffs. So you're about to fucking learn. And then the Miami Heat. A lot of adversity, and they're one in the East. They're tied with the Bulls for the one spot in the East as an identical record. A game and a half for the Bucks in third, two games ahead of the Cavs. Who would have fucking thought that? Uh, I broke down the Cavs. I think it was one of the first teams I broke down because I was just like, holy shit, this is such a fun team. Um, and, you know, who knows? Colin Sexton might come back. Um, for the Heat, they have extended uh, Caleb Martin for a full season contract, so they add him. They've had some injuries here and there. Uh, right now, Dwayne Dedman and Tyler Hero are out. Obviously, Victor Oladipo uh, is in the G League. He's practicing on 5-5, five and five, but I would not expect him to be a part of the team this year. People forget already that Victor Oladipo is even on the uh, Miami Heat. And they have Markeith Morris as well, who's been ruled out since um, quite a bit this year. So they're still battling injuries. When we look at their depth, now that they have Kyle Lowry into the lineup, though, this is such a fun team. You got Kyle Lowry, the vet, two-way player. You got the shooter, Duncan Robinson, who's had to do a lot of uplifting with all these injuries. He's been one of the guys that's consistently playing. And he's only shooting 36%, which is, a, besides his rookie year, a career low in the NBA. He shot 44% from three, 40%. Now he's at 36 under his career high of 40. Um, and he's on points per games lower. I think a lot of that has to do with the people in and out of the lineups. He doesn't get his regular teammates, which creates him being open. Uh, he's a guy that's a motherfucker to guard. He's running all over the courts to get those open shots. He's never not moving. It's like that Troy Polamalu. Never not... What, what's the... Never not... The, working. Yeah, never not working. He's like, I'm never not moving. Never not moving. Like, that's what it really is. Uh, PJ Tucker, love the tenacity. He's a typical Miami Heat-type player. Bam Adebayo being back, right? That You know, this guy is going to be a fucking force in the league for a long time. How old is he? He's got to be like 22. He's fuck, uh, not quite 22. He's 24, but he's still very young, and it seems like he's been around for a while. Uh, Hero should be back. They got Gabe Vincent, much like the Jazz, with all these guys in and out, we've seen what Gabe Vincent can do. We can see what Max Struess can do. They're able to see what Omer Yurtseven could do. Guys that I haven't even heard before, have been making plays. And these guys have been making plays and being more involved than Kyle Guy, a guy that was a in a big-time school making runs in March Madness, and he can't he can't beat them on the depth chart. So they are deep. They play Miami-like basketball. And I'm not going to lie. When the rotation has Kyle, Duncan, Jimmy, PJ, and Bam healthy, and right off the bench you got guys, Tyler Hero, your sixth man, Gabe Vixen, Struess, Martin, uh, Deadman. Like, yeah, they ain't going to be easy to fuck with. Obviously, having Oladipo would have been ideal, um, but they're going to be able to compete with anyone in the East and anyone in the NBA, in my opinion. Uh, they've held down that number one spot. They are six and four in their last 10. By the way, Utah is six and four in their last 10 as well. I didn't bring that up. But when we look at their schedule, it's very East heavy. Uh, Sixers multiple times, Hornets, Knicks. It's not as hard as the Jazz is, and there's no big road road runs. Uh, there's a nice mix, and they have a huge home stretch. They have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven home games to start of March. That's going to be a, a, a nice sight. They end the season pretty easily, 
Sacramento, Charlotte, Atlanta, Orlando. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if this team's a, a one seed and them being a one seed is going to be a huge perk for them when it comes playoff time. Um, obviously letting everyone battle it out. They're going to take a low team on the totem pole, put them in a good position to be successful. Um, but yeah, both teams are fun. Um, I, I do like the Jazz's chances a little more. Um, I'm a little concerned about just how, like, I think the Jazz will be healthy. They're young. They're going to be positioned. I am a little worried about the health of the, the Heat for the rest of the year. They do have a little bit older players, some veterans, right? Kyle Lowry was out for quite some time. I still don't really understand what, you know, what he was out for. Uh, Jimmy's been a motherfucker though. I mean, he has been his whole career, right? Uh, but when we look at his, his numbers, he's averaging 21.9 points per game. His career high is 23 at 21.5 last year. He's shooting a pretty terrible 20% from three outside of his rookie year. That's the worst in his career. Uh, shooting 49% from the field, which is a career high though. So he takes good shots. He lets his shooter shoot. He doesn't need to shoot 6.3 rebounds last year. He had 6.9. 5.9 assists last year, 7.1. Um, but again, the rotation's been all over the place. This team cl uh, clinching down with a favorable schedule. <clears throat> Contender status for sure. So, we've been talking hoops, baby. We've been talking hoops. But we got to talk what happened last week in these games. Because we're going to dive into these further. Uh, when we look at the games, you have this. This is last Thursday. The Suns blowing out the Bucks, one thirty-one to one hundred seven in Phoenix. What a team! This you know what what a great season this team is having. Uh, for Milwaukee, Giannis had eighteen and eight on fourteen shots. He was zero of three from three, so not a great game from from the Greek freak. Middleton had twenty-one points. Drew Holiday had twenty-one points, and for the Suns, it really all was DeAndre Ayton, twenty-seven and seven. Uh, he was a dominant force. The whole starting lineup over double digits. Uh, Chris Paul had 17 and 19 and seven rebounds. Big game, trying to push that triple-double. You know he was giving it up to eight in the, in the heyday there. And Booker had 17 points on 19 shots, and they didn't even need it, and they damn near won by 30. 24 points. And then the Knicks upsetting the Warriors on the road, 116 to 114, close game. Um, the Knicks were led by Julius Randle has been hot of late. The more he's playing more Julius like basketball, what we've seen over, over the short term, uh, 28, 16 and seven, great game, 23 shots. So not super efficient. He was Oh, three from, from downtown, uh, Evan Fournier. He's been hot of late 22 points, uh, for the Warriors. They were led by Steph Curry who had 35 and 10. He was five of 16 from three. He had 10 assists as well. Um, but the rest of the team really didn't help him. Clay Thompson had 17, 17, 7, and 5, but on 17 shots. So the Splash Brothers been battling efficiency a little bit, taking a couple L's, and the Knicks somehow got, got the dub there. Let's see. The Celtics beat the Nuggets 108-102 on Friday in Boston. Um, the Celtics were led by Tatum, who had 24, 6, and 5. He was 1 of 8 from 3, not a, a super efficient game. For Tatum, but he led the team. And Marcus Smart with 22, 7, and 5. Uh, he wasn't super efficient either. Uh, but the the Nuggets, you didn't have to be. You know, they're missing some key players. Uh, Jokic, the defending MVP, 26, 16, and 11. That's a Jokic line. He had nine turnovers. Almost had a quad double uh, with turnovers. And then um, Aaron Gordon had 17 points on 15 shots. 0 of 5 from 3. Uh, not able to lock in from deep. 
Uh, moving into Saturday. The Trailblazers beating the Knicks in Portland. And I have this guy on my fantasy team. I've, I've talked about it before. My fantasy team has not been flourishing. If anything, it's been uh, it's been brutal. Uh, but Anthony Simons, 30 points, 5 rebounds, 8 assists. I mean, the young stud, he's getting an opportunity to really showcase what he could do. And he'd been hooping, hooping. Um, and then Josh Hart, 23 points. Nova Nation, baby. I love that he's getting more of an opportunity. He's doing his thing. And for the Knicks, they were led by Julius Randle. Again, he's looking more like the Randle that we've seen. 28-16-6. Uh, and 6. Uh, Not super efficient again. 20 shots, 0-4 from 3. So he, he's, he's, he's putting in the attempts. And then Kemba Walker back in the starting lineup, 23 points for the Knicks in defeat. Uh, huge upset win for the Blazers. Winslow making his Blazer debut as a starter, 14-6-5. That must have felt great for him. It's just a lot of misfits getting opportunities. Uh, ben McLemore was 17-5 and five off the bench. Uh, Greg Brown getting time. Elijah Hughes, who got traded from Utah, getting some chances. Um, and they found a way. Shows you the Knicks aren't all that great. The Grizzlies beating the Hornets 125-18 on the road. The Grizzlies, a solid fucking squad. Four of their five starters, big double-digit games. John Morant with 26-6-6. and uh, although not super efficient, he was 0 of 3 from 3. That's on 21 shots. And then Desmond Bain with 25, 5, and 4. He's going to be in that three-point contest. And for the Hornets in the defeat, they were led by Terry Rozier, 35, 10, and 9. It's funny when you see Terry Rozier with big lines leading the Hornets, they typically lose. I mean, he was a minus 12 in the plus minus. Uh, that 35 was on 27 shots. He was 6 of 17 from 3. He's shooting 17 threes like, sheesh, that's Scary Terry. That's where his nickname must be from. And then Harrell making his Hornet debut. I didn't even see this originally. He went up with 20 and 9, so so big time points off the bench, eating into P.J. Washington's time. We had the Sixers beating the Cavs in Philly by 10, 103-93. Uh, the Sixers were led by Joel Embiid. 40, 14, and 10. Really efficient line. Plus 24. Four from five from three. Have a day. Um, the Cavs were led by Darius Garland, who had 27 on 23 shots. Uh, the rest of the team really couldn't get the offense going, and they took defeat in Philly. The Nuggets beating the Raptors in Toronto. Uh, the Nuggets were led by Jokic, who had 28, 15, and 6. And the Raptors were led by Pascal Siakam, what is this kid averaging? Seems like he's just been on a tear. 22 points per game. That's 21st in the league. Uh, last year he had 21 and 22. So I just he's having big box score nights, man. 35, 10, and 7. Efficient game. 3 of 7 from 3. Fred Van Fleet, 25, 5, and 5. But the Raptors couldn't beat Jokic and crew. All five starters for the Nuggets in double digits. Uh, Jeff Green even putting up 19 points. Um, how old is this man now? At 35 years old. He couldn't figure it out with the Jazz, but everywhere else he's putting up freaking points. It's kind of funny. <clears throat> see, that was a Raptors game. Or am I lost my spot? Oh, that was Saturday. I was looking at Friday. Um, the Heat beating the Nets 115-111 in Miami. Bam out of bio. Nice triple-double. 19-14 to lead Miami. They had six, seven players in double digits. 
Uh, Brooklyn was led by Kyrie Irving, 29 and five. Not the most efficient night from Kyrie on 22 shots. And then Cam Thomas having to do a lot, the young stud. He put up 22 points off the bench in the defeat. The Clippers beating the Mavericks on the road. The Clippers been scrappy. No Kawhi, no PG, no problem. Uh, they're led by Reggie Jackson, who had 24 and 8. Marcus Morris had 20, and Terrence Mann with 29 and 9, 20 points and 9 rebounds. Uh, what a what a come up he's had. Ter- uh, Terrence Mann been looking good. He was the ja- the Jazz killer um, in that playoff run. And then Luka Doncic, 45-15-8. and eight. What a big line by Luka in defeat. 33 shots, 6-13 from three. Um, that's got to be a tough box score to see when you, when you look at the defeat. The Warriors escaping the Lakers. I didn't think this game would be that close, uh, but the Warriors winning 117-115. The Warriors were led by Klay Thompson, who had 33 points. The Splash Brothers in full effect. Steph Curry, 24-8, although he was only one of eight from three. And the Lakers were led by LeBron James, the leading scorer in NBA history, 26-15-8, although it was on 27 shots. Uh, the rest of the team didn't really put up offensively. Heading into Super Bowl Sunday, there was only two games, probably because I knew no one was going to watch. The Celtics beat the Hawks in Boston, 105-95. to Um Trey Young did put up 30 and 10, but on 26 shots. You know I'm an efficiency guy. He struggles with that a lot of the time. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich finally coming out and getting some buckets, 26 points off the bench. And this was all Jason Tatum, 38 points, 4 of 10 from 3, 10 rebounds um, as the Celtics getting some traction of late. Then starting this week off on Monday, uh, the Bulls beating the Spurs 120 to 109 in Chi-Town. The Bulls were led by uh, Nikola Vucevic. I had him in fantasy last year. He was a beast. And this is more Vucevic-like lines. 25-16. and 16, Although it was on 24 shots and 1 of 7 from 3. That's pretty brutal. Uh, but how about DeMar? DeMar DeRozan, 40 points, 7 assists. Efficient 40 points. And uh, Kobe White with 24-6 and six as well. I can't get over DeRozan at 32 years old just having a season like this. He's averaging 27.9 points per game. That's fourth in the NBA at 32 years old. He got shipped out of Toronto, written off. Look at him now. His career high before that was 27.3 in the 2016-2017 season with the Raptors. He's out there really hooping, hooping. Old man game and all. Uh, the Blazers upsetting the Bucks in Milwaukee. That Blazers team, you know, you put a bunch of outcasts together. Sometimes they're just fucking fighters. And that's what this was. All five starters and double digits. Uh, Simon's leading the way again with 31 and 6. 7 to 16 from 3. Uh, Josh Hart, 27, 7 and 5. Let's go Nova. Uh, Nurchik, 23 and 16. Winslow with 13. Ellerby with 10. I mean, just a bunch of misfits, man. And Milwaukee, you can't take those types of L's. No Giannis in the lineup, but still can't take those L's. Drew Holiday with 23-6 and six, uh, in the defeat for Milwaukee. Ibaka having a 9-7 a and seven game filling in. <clears throat> the Clippers beating the Warriors on Monday night in L.A. Crypto.com Arena. No staples no more. 119, 104. 
They were led with their starting five and five, uh, starting five all in double digits by Terrence Mann, 25, seven and six, having a day in a plus 25 in the plus minus. For the Warriors, they were led by Steph Curry, 33 points, eight of 13 from three. He finally started stroking. Clay Thompson, everybody in the lineup, obviously no Draymond Green, but they still couldn't do enough in LA against the Clippers on Monday night. Last night, there was some games. The Hawks beating the uh, Cleveland in the land, 124-126. The Hawks were led by Darius, or not the Hawks, the Cavs were led by Darius Garland, who had 30 points to lead the Cavs. Kevin Love with 21 and 7 off the bench. 5 of 12 from 3 is definitely going to be a 6-man candidate. The young stud Evan Mobley. This is why I had Texas winning the championship. This kid is an animal. 22 and 10. And when I say this kid is an animal, he's literally 20 years old. um, Not even drinking age yet. The Hawks were led by Trey Young. Ice Trey, 41 and 9 in a very efficient line. Love to see it if you're a Hawks fan. Uh, and then Danilo Gallinari uh, with 25 points as well for the Hawks. Big win for them as they try to gain some momentum. I mean, as we look at the standings now, the Hawks are at the bottom of the play-in, barely above the Hornets, Nets, and Raptors. The, the Wizards are a half a game back, and the, the Knicks are out of the play-in as well. Um, in the West, it's pretty much the same teams. Portland's in the bottom of the play-in. Um, the Spurs and Pelicans are right outside. Uh, the Lakers (laughs) still going to be in the play in for a while. Probably won't get out of that. Um, but it's interesting to see these teams, you know, flirting with disaster, so to speak. It's got to be a stressful season and the Hawks should be a lot better than that. Personally, I think, well, maybe I'm crazy, but, um, also yesterday, the Mavericks beating the heat in Miami, 107, uh, to 99, uh, Kleba with Dallas leading the way with 19 and 16. Jimmy Buckets doing his thing, uh, putting up 29 and 10 in the defeat. And before James Harden, he's in this crowd wearing a crazy outfit, but before he plays for the Sixers, the Sixers just get embarrassed in Philly against Boston. 135 to 87. I don't know if Joel Embiid got the memo to show up, but he led the team with 19, 9 and 6. Nobody else besides Tyrese Maxey with 11 points on 11 shots had double digits. Uh, for the Celtics, Jalen Brown, 29. Jason Tatum, 28. Efficient lines. Uh, lots of production from the team and just an embarrassing game. Um, so that must be the, the last final bullshit game for them before Harden comes in. Because uh, that, that's crazy. Uh, the Timberwolves beating the Hornets at home. You know, the Timberwolves, are they're, they're, they're surviving. They're scrapping. No one's talking about them. They're probably not on TV a lot, uh, but they're at the seven spot. They're a game and a half away from the Nuggets for the six spot to avoid the play-in game. Um, the Timberwolves were led by Cat, who had 39 and 15. Very nice, efficient line there. And for the Hornets, they were led by Miles Bridges with 28, 13, and 7. And Terry Rozier with 25 points. Um, t- a big win for the Timberwolves. And then wrapping it up, the Suns beating the Clippers in Phoenix this time. Uh, the Suns were led by Devin Booker with 26 points. Uh, CP3 had 17 and 14. Big assist season, as always, for CP3. And the Celtics, or the Clippers, were led by Morris with 23 points as the Suns just keep winning. Things are getting interesting. It's fun watching this little play in bracket. 
I like the playing bracket. It keeps teams from tanking. It keeps teams relevant. Uh, I just can't believe the Hawks are at the bottom of that in the East and the Knicks are out. That, that shit's hella funny. Um, but let's talk college basketball, man. It's getting closer to March. I got my Wyoming hat on. They enter the rankings. They fucking drop an egg uh, against New Mexico, who's straight trash. But it is what it is. Uh, when we look at the rankings, I still think Arizona's overrated. Uh, I, I mean, they're fucking just vastly overrated at three. There's no way you can convince me that they're a top five team in the country unless the Pac-12 takes over March Madness like they did last year, and I eat my words. Uh, Houston, I do think they're still overrated at 14. They could be at the top 25, but I don't think they're a top 15 team. Um, kind of a bold statement until last night, thinking Providence was overrated at eight. Um, they're just a bunch of super seniors. They're a great basketball team. They're going to be a hard out in, in March. I don't think they're a top 10 team in the country. Villanova got the win. I think they showcased that on the road. I do think that, um, Murray state is overrated at 21. I think they will be a tournament team. I don't think they're a terrible team, but I do think they're a little overrated at 21 and underrated. There's not a lot. This really sticks out to me. Um, yeah, nothing really sticks out to me. Uh, Alabama enters the rankings again. Houston has a big slide down to 14 after that loss, um, down eight spots, but the rankings are looking pretty accurate in my book. Looking at the games that have happened since last week, maybe the shit to load. Just do this. Sometimes ESPN on Safari just eats a dick. Uh, does a lot better on Google Chrome. Google Chrome is just better, man. It is what it is. I accept it. I accept the defeat. Um, but last time on the show, we had talked about Houston losing. They were losing at the time. Um, Seton Hall upset Xavier, who was ranked at the time. But going back to Thursday, Michigan literally blowing the doors off Purdue, which blew my mind. And when I entered a fun parlay for the Super Bowl and the fights, I added the game Michigan versus Ohio State. Michigan was at home and somehow favored over Ohio State. The Vegas oddbreakers really fucked that one up. Ohio State handled them pretty good. But it must have just been because of this win. Like, oh, maybe they're back. Um, because Michigan should be a lot better than they are. Right? 13 and 9, 7 and 5 in conference. And they just handled them. Hunter Dickinson, 22 and 9. Um, Diabate with 15 points. Brooks with 18 for Michigan. And there was really no offense in this game for Purdue. They shot 22% from three. Uh, Jaden Ivey led the way with 18 points, but on 12 shots, uh, um, one of four from three, five turnovers. Uh, I just couldn't believe Michigan pulled that off, but that was a tough, tough loss for the Boilermakers. Um, going into Friday of last week, Xavier beating UConn, a little Big East battle. These Big East teams, uh, I'm interested to see how they do in the tournament. They're pretty scrappy. A lot of them do have some more senior-led players, uh, but Xavier led by... Um, Jack Noonji, who had 22 and nine and for UConn, they were led by RJ Cole who had 22 points on 17 shots, Uh tough loss on the road for the Huskies. I do think they're the better team, uh, but home court advantage makes a huge difference. Villanova prepping for the Providence game on Saturday, beating Seton Hall 73 to 63. Uh, they had all five starters in double digits. Uh, Jalen Samuels and Justin Moore with 16 a pop uh, to beat Seton Hall. Gonzaga whooping St. Mary's. Um, sorry, my mic was making some popping noise there. Um, 
74 to 58. That's not a big surprise to me. Drew Timmy with 25 and 8. He needs to keep getting rolling. Arizona mopped the Huskies here in Seattle. One of my friends asked me to go. It was UFC weekend. Blood Diamond was fine at 3.30. I was like, nah, I can't make it, bro. That's going to be a smothering. Uh, but Trell Brown Jr. of the Huskies, a transfer from Arizona. He had a show out. He put up 29-5. and five. But Benedict Mathurin with 25-5. and five. Arizona keeps on keeping on. Uh, Houston loses again to Memphis, right? Memphis was a preseason top 25 team. Um, so I'm not too surprised here either, even though Memphis is unranked. Uh, but they were, Memphis was led by Landers Noli, the second, who had 20 points. Um, Houston was led by White Jr., who had 15 points in defeat. Uh, but like I tried telling y'all, Houston's overrated. Uh, the blue, the um, ugh, the Blue Jays, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh man, uh, the Jayhawks, Kansas, barely beating Oklahoma, led by Jalen Wilson, who had 22 and nine. Tanner Grove's been stepping up. He had 19 and four. Baylor beating Texas by 17. Um, this is another game I was pretty damn confident. I put that in my parlay that Baylor was better than them, especially on the home court. Nobody in on Texas's roster besides Andrew Jones over double digits. He had 11 points on 11 shots. He was three of six from three. And Baylor had all five starters in double digits, and they were led by Adam Flager, who had 15 points for the for the uh, for Baylor. USC really up the whole game against UCLA. I thought UCLA would, would really show that they were the, the cream of the crop. But again, home court advantage, it really does make a difference. Um, and this guy, Tiger Campbell, really tried to make a difference. He had 27 points for the Bruins, and they still lost. Uh, but they were outbattled by Drew Peterson, who had 27 and 12 for USC. Maybe I'm thinking... UCLA is not as good as I thought they were, or maybe some of these Pac-12 teams are decent. So we're, we're going to find out. We're going to learn a lot from this conference here soon. Uh, but a bigger surprise to me was Rutgers upsetting Wisconsin in Madison, 73-65. to 65. Um, Brad Davis was 3 of 13, 1 of 9 for 9 points. Johnny Davis, 5 of 10, 0 for 3. Wisconsin shot 21% from 3. They couldn't hit a lake if they were a boat. And Tyler Wall had 23 points in their defeat. And Rutgers been hot lately. They've been getting some nice upsets. Ron Harper Jr. with 21 and 6. A team that makes the bracket. They've shown that they could beat some high-quality teams. That'll be interesting. Michigan State handling Indiana at home pretty easily. A.J. Hogger with 14, 4, and 8. Butler upsetting a hot Marquette team, 85-79. Uh, Justin Lewis had 27 and 9. You wouldn't think they'd lose that game, but they did. Uh, Baylor shot 46.4% from three. Uh, that's pretty good numbers in college. And Bryce Golden led the way for uh, the Bulldogs with 22 points. Let's see. Heading into Super Bowl Sunday, there was not a lot of action. UConn escaping St. John's on the road. Tyrese Martin with 17 and 8. Illinois escaping Northwestern. Kofi Coburn with 19 and 15. Purdue escaping Maryland. Zach Eady with 10 and 11 for Purdue, but they all found a way to win as the higher seeds. On Monday, Kansas beat Oklahoma State pretty easily. Ochai Abaji with 27, 20.7 rebounds and four assists. And then yesterday, man, um, Tennessee upset in Kentucky. You just felt like this young Kentucky team was due for an upset. Ty Ty Washington only with 13 minutes left early. 
Um, Toshibui had 13 and 15, but it wasn't enough as Vescovi uh, leading the way with 18 points for Tennessee. They had four players in double digits. Um, Indiana damn near beating Wisconsin at home, but Johnny Davis said, nah, I'm good, bro. He put up 30 and 12. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis with 38 and 6. 30 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists. So huge lines by those two guys. Uh, but Penn State did find a way to upset Michigan State on, at home. Uh, Julius Marble the second led the way for the Sparties, 14 and 8. And John Harar had 16 and 16 for Penn State. Texas barely beat Oklahoma on the road in overtime. Christian Bishop with 16 and 6 for the Longhorns. Elijah Harkless with 19, 3 and 5 for Oklahoma. And then the one that killed me, man, New Mexico beating Wyoming up pretty much the entire game, 75 to 66, as Wyoming finally enters the top 25. And this team has a, you know, a upsets written all over it in the March Madness tournament. They're pretty well, pretty well developed. They got a big guy. They got a shooter. Um, they, they play good defense. They got a decent bench. Uh, but Ike was the only one to show up. He had 26 and 7. And uh, on 20 shots, so you know, Graham Mike was putting the putting the putting the shots up. Um, but New Mexico shot 47% from three in college. That's pretty impressive. And the bench only gave three points to to Wyoming. Uh, so very brutal loss. But this is a team. Why I'm repping the hat, man. It's got Wyoming fans excited. They're 21 and four overall. Their losses are to Arizona, pretty bad. Uh, Stanford and Boise State, who they ended up beating, and then New Mexico. So there's not a bad loss besides New Mexico. They were on a one, two, three, four, five, six game win streak. Um, they have winnable games the rest of the season. Fresno State could be tough, uh, but this is a team that could win out. They were in the, um, um, you know, pre-made brackets or guesstimation brackets. Bracketology is like an eight seed. So yeah, man, they get a seven, eight seed. Like they could, they definitely have an opportunity. It's super exciting. I'm excited for them. But the story of the day yesterday was Nova Providence, two of the top teams in the comfort, in the country, two teams that no one's going to want to fuck with. And really all I wanted as a Nova fan was to see the, you know, as a Nova fan, we got some pretty good players. But when you bring back Jalen Samuels and Connor Gillespie, you should be a content national championship contention. Gillespie obviously coming back from knee surgery, having some ankle injuries. He hasn't been the same. But this game, he did it the true Villanova way. 33 points, 5 of 8 from 3, hella efficient. Uh, Moore was unstoppable with 19 points and 10 rebounds. Uh, Samuels hasn't quite looked himself. He looks shy, gun shy. He doesn't want to put up the open shots, but he plays good team ball. He finds open players. He plays great defense. And this was just a fun game. Um, Watson, the big man down low for Providence had a heyday with 20 and six. Eric Dixon's been the guy that's really battled them through the big East of late. But, um, Watson was really the, the star of the show. Dixon did have eight and nine, uh, but he wasn't as involved as the guards were really coming out to play. But if the, if Nova could play inside out and when the three balls not hitting, I mean, they had 47.8% from three and only one by five uh, and Providence shot 21.7% from three. So, you know, the three ball hit there on the road, which is impressive, but it's not going to hit every game. And we've seen them in March Madness take some big L's because the three balls not hitting. They're really going to rely on Eric Dixon. They're going to need Jalen Samuels to be more aggressive. And uh, they're going to need some guys off the bench, including Caleb Daniels, to carry the way. 
So it will be interesting to see how that bracket shakes out. But what a fucking game this was. I watched the entire game. I haven't watched an entire Villanova game all season, but I was fired up for that game. Villanova could win out, win the Big East, take a Big East tournament, and who knows, they might get a two seed in the tournament. I doubt they'll get a one seed, uh, but this team ain't fucking playing. Looking ahead, we have Baylor-Texas Tech, Texas Tech tonight. That'll be a decent game. Um... Saturday, Michigan State hosting Illinois. That'll be a fun game. Texas hosting Texas Tech. Kentucky hosting Alabama. Arkansas hosting Tennessee. Wyoming's playing because y'all got to tune into Wyoming, what they got going on, even though they probably won't be on any channels near you unless you're in Wyoming. Um, starting next week before the next podcast, UConn hosting Villanova. That's obviously I'm tuning into that bad boy. And then Wednesday... Wyoming plays again. Not a ton, a ton of huge games. Mostly a lot of conference play. But shit's heating up. Wyoming's relevant. Hell hasn't froze over. Watch the F out. Wyoming's going to be sneaky. I can't wait to see the tournament. I hope they can play in Portland. I would love to go if a team that I care about or want to tune in is in Portland. I'm definitely going to make it happen. Um, but March is one of my favorite times of year. Like I said, I'll be doing the bracket live on IG again. I've won my bracket three out of four years. Last year was the worst one I've done. First uh, Instagram live, obviously. Um, but other than that, let's fucking talk Supercross. I'm upset about this. It's been a tough Supercross season for Ken Rocks and fans. Uh, but round six was back at Anaheim. Well, in Anaheim for the 250s, the story was Hunter Lawrence with a nasty wreck. Easily in second place. Looking to be aggressive, trying to bridge the gap with christian craig took a nasty wreck wasn't sure how it was looking as he didn't finish the race uh if he was going to be out for some time or not but supposedly he's not expected to be out uh it's definitely a bummer for the lawrence brothers with jet being hurt as well but now craig is taking a commanding lead and really just running away with the points in this race christian craig first again uh vince freesey second michael Moseman third and garrett marchbanks fourth which now puts the points at Christian Craig, 148. Moseman, 28 points back at second. Lawrence, a point back from Moseman in third. Freesey, um, 20 points back in fourth. And then Shimoda, 12 points even further back in fifth. For the 450 class, it was all about that new Kawasaki for Jason Anderson. <clears throat> he looked great in the heats and took the whole shot and really was able just to take the victory from there. Roxon got tough. Got caught in the tough blocks coming out of the gate. Uh, so brutal start for him having to work back. Um, in last, ended up finishing decently with an 11th place finish. But we had Anderson first, Tomac second. He, he, he's really got something to prove with that Yamaha. Uh, Barsha third, Malcolm Stewart fourth, Muscan fifth, Ferrandis sixth, Sexton seventh, Webb eight, Plessinger ninth, and then Roxon in 11th. So now as we look at the points, we have Tomac still in first, 12 points up on Jason Anderson, who is six points up on Chase Sexton. Uh, Malcolm Stewart's four points back in fourth. Barsha five in fifth. Cooper Webb uh, seven back in sixth. Muscan five back in seventh. And then Roxon six back in eighth. Uh, Roxon's at 92, the leader at 134. The odds of him bridging that gap is pretty slim. 
Cooper Webb may be a chance, but it's surprising that these two are so back in the pack. Uh, really impressed with Malcolm Stewart and Chase Sexton this far. We all knew the potential that Chase could reach, uh, but putting this in a weekly, week-to-week basis has been really impressive. And I'm not surprised Tomax there and Anderson back in first. New teams, new chips on their shoulders. Um, but round seven this weekend in Minneapolis, it should be a fun one. Start doing the circuit around the country. Can't wait for the boys to come to Seattle. Hopefully can at least steal a, Ken, a Kenny win here in Seattle. Uh, but that's the way the crookie crumbles in Supercross. Um, in the Elsewhere in the sports world, Sid the Kid scoring his 500th goal of the season. I was lucky enough to be able to catch him here with the new Seattle Kraken in their first ever season as an NHL franchise. Uh, he was able to get, he scored at least one. He might have scored two in that game, if I remember. Uh, it was definitely an, an ass kicking by the Penguins. Uh, but my favorite hockey player, really cool to see Sid the Kid scoring his 500th goal. In college football, Cincinnati extending Luke Fickle for a $5 million a year contract until 2028. So he's getting paid the big bucks. Harbaugh with a year extended at Michigan now that he has committed to UM. And then in baseball world, uh, reportedly Juan Soto had turned down a 13-year, $50 million, $350 million contract for the Nationals. Uh, so he is going to test free agency. Any team is going to do whatever it can take to get Juan Soto. I think he is a top five baseball player um, with so many tools in his arsenal. And he is only 23 years old. Uh, this kid is a certified stud. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him in his future as Washington's kind of really just, you know, started back over. Uh, Matt Harvey potentially prepping for a 60-day suspension after the Tyler Skaggs case. Um, he had been a part of the drug supply. So, you know, any kind of suspension, I would assume he's pretty much done for MLB in his career. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman officially retiring. What a career he had had. One of the Nationals OGs, been able to play and have a long lasting career. Uh, one of my favorite Nationals, a guy that I've had in fantasy baseball in his prime, you know, tip of the cap to Mr. Ryan Zimmerman. And then elsewhere, we still have the Winter Olympics going on. Uh, for the U.S., definitely uh, a big bummer on some of the star-studded Olympic athletes with uh, Michaela Schifrin and Sean White failing to medal. At 35 years old, Sean White had a huge task ahead of him. I figured he would land on the podium at least, uh, but was in fourth place, so just missed out on the podium. Um, weird results with the half pipe. Um, the judging was just out of control. The snow is garbage. Uh, lots of wrecks. Some fun potential. Uh, a record error by one of the Hirano brothers. Uh, that The Hirano brothers are going to be taking over snowboarding for quite some time. Uh, but the results was Ayumu Hirano, who always got silver behind Sean White with the gold. Scotty James with the silver. And then uh, Jan Scherer with the bronze. For the women's, it was Chloe Kim easily getting gold. At least that was good for, for the U.S. Uh, Carol Castellet with the silver. Sina Tomita with the bronze. And then in the women's big air, it was Anna Gasser with the gold. Zoe Sadowski continuing her reign to dominate anything. I knew she was a certified rock star after the wild card entry to the uh, natural selection tour last winter. Uh, so she gets the silver and then Coco Mo Marassi with the bronze. Um, USA got a gold in the men's mixed snowboarding uh, event. And Italy silver, Canada bronze. So at least they got a still a gold there. 
Uh, but snowboarders were complaining about the judging, and for good reason. Ayuma Hirano landing the triple cab, an amazing run, getting a, a like an 87 score, had the people gasping. He did the run a little bit bigger, then gets a 92. Um, I just feel like the judging's a fucking shit show. This Winter Olympics, in my opinion, kind of a shit show, um, when you, especially when you have it at venues like this. Um, but elsewhere this week, the battle of King, uh, the King of Corbett's in Jackson hole, uh, the window has been open. There hasn't been official day yet. Uh, most likely waiting for some snow, but that sh- that'll be on Red Bull TV. And then continuing on the front to MLB, I should have brought this up earlier, but the MLB wanting to make major changes to minor league baseball, eliminating lots of jobs. The players have a meeting tomorrow um, doing a proposal to the MLB. So fingers crossed as the commissioner announced that he does not foresee delays. Pitchers and catchers are supposed to um, show up yesterday. I just want me some baseball. Got me some season tickets. Trying to see the Shohei Mike Trout duo uh, and some Angels baseball. So fingers crossed. But that's episode 70 coming right at you. Thanks for tuning in. Again, you have any topics you want me to cover, hit me up anywhere. Socials, DMs, YouTube, comments, like, subscribe. That's what it's all about. See you guys next week.